Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Fail Credits podcast, which is going to be a Planet of the Apes special with the new release being Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'm Steve Maud, I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. Uh, before we start, though, monkeying around, uh, we've, got, we've got a quiz and we've got some news. The quiz, James is 1-0 up, although it's on a podcast you never heard. Behind um, closed, it was the kind of closed doors special. <laughs> Yes. It will um, be out soon. So it's a punishment for being rubbish. Yeah. We had to do one behind closed doors. Yeah. It's a practice one. <laughs> we we do practice podcasts. Yeah, it was a pre-season um, friendly. We're just yeah. up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so James is still claiming that one yep. one nil lead, even though there's no evidence of it in the world ever. Um, <laughs> I am still leading the quiz. Um, by well, not leading the quiz. I'm still quiz master after winning the last time around. Uh, so I'm going to start off. In uh, 1997, with a film called Loop. 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 Uh, I'm going to jump ahead now to 1999 with a film called Topsy Turvy. Is James. it? It's oh. James. Uh, Timothy Spall. <laughs> no. Okay. Carol. Carol. Chiwetel Ejiofor. No. Oh. Uh, in 2000, he was in a film called Pandemonium. James. Yes, James. Jim Broadband. No. Okay, that's the only two people I've ever Topsy Turvy. In 2002, he was in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. That was literally everyone. <laughs> uh, in the world. Owen. Owen. Viggo Mortensen. Welcome to this week's Fail Credits podcast, which is going to be a Planet of the Apes special with the new release being Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'm Steve Maud. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. Uh, before we start, though, monkeying around, uh, we've, got, we've got a quiz and we've got some news. The quiz, James is 1-0 up, although it's on a podcast you've never heard. Behind um, It was the kind of closed doors special. <laughs> Yes. It will be out soon. It's our punishment for being rubbish. We had to do one behind closed doors. It's a practice (laughs) one. We we do practice podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, it was a pre-season friendly. We're just warming up. Uh, But anyway, so James is still claiming that 1-0 lead, even though there's no evidence of it in the world ever. Um, (laughs) I am still leading the quiz um, 
by well not leading the quiz I'm still quiz master after winning the last time around uh, so I'm going to start off in uh, 1997 with a film called Loop 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 uh, I'm going to jump ahead now to 1999 with a film called Topsy Turvy is James. it it's oh. James uh, Timothy Spall no okay Carol Carol Chiwetel Ejiofor no. Oh. Uh, in 2000, he was in a film called Pandemonium. James. Yes, James. Jim Broadband. No. Okay, that's the only two people I've ever been topsy turvy. In 2002, he was in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. That was literally everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the world. Owen. Owen. Viggo Mortensen. No. No. Okay. Uh, James. Carol- uh, James. Carl Urban. No. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> right. In 2002, it was in 24 hour party, people. James. Carol. Yes, oh. James. Andy Serkis. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is him of of playing people who aren't real people fame. Oh, well, I that's... actually put my hand up then. I <laughs> 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 just realised. That's just completely pointless, but uh, it you made me feel better about myself. Putting your hand up will not work. I cannot see you. No. <laughs> Until so. we take this do video podcast, you do not want to... This heat has got me stripped down pretty, pretty <laughs> erotically. You don't want to see this. <laughs> and yeah, should we move on? Sorry. Yes, let's move on with James now 2 nil up in the quiz. Um, and God knows if he and wins. stripped down. God knows if he wins what we're going to have to watch. Now, I, do you know what, Steve? I'm just going to say now, I am actually going to take a bit of a leaf out of Steve's book if I win. I'm, I'm saying that. I'm not going to guarantee you... Uh, it might be a challenging film, but I'm not going to choose an outright terrible film for you to watch. I promise that. As long as, as long as it's not Holy Motors, it'll be fine. You've already seen that, Steve. To be fair. Actually, so is Owen. And I don't know if, have you seen Holy Motors, Carol? No, I think it's on Netflix now. Yeah, it's on my list, it, I think. For, yeah, for fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be something else. Don't worry, Steve. <laughs> Good. Uh, right. So, yes, on to the news then. We've got a few bits of news this week. Uh, Cara, didn't you find one from the, the BBFC? Yeah, the BBFC put out their, their annual report this week, and I always quite enjoy reading this state of the classification, I like to call it. And um, basically, it just proves that not a lot of people still know what the 12A uh, certificate is, despite it being around for now 12 years. Um, it's not it's not that complicated. If you're under 12, you can't go and see it unless you're with an adult. So That's the, it. So the 12A certificate could now go and see a 12A film? Yes. Yes. I'd, I'd like to think that it was in, in tribute to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently this is still a, a kind of bone of contention. Um, because people don't enjoy having to make decisions themselves and uh, the most complained about film of the year was actually Jack Reacher this year which was a paltry uh, I think it was in 26 complaints in total which compared to last year previously it was a woman in black and that was about 150 people was actually quite quite good for their standards um, but yeah I think people are trying to push the boundaries of what 12A films are, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think sometimes it's really well done. I remember 
taking my much younger than 12 at that point brother to see The Dark Knight and sitting there thinking, in the first 20 minutes thinking, I'm not sure this is the film for him. But uh, but he loved it. Uh, so, you know, you can't, you can't always tell. But um, I think one of the other interesting um, uh, statistics from this report this, this year was that for the first time... Um, a record number of films rated 12A has actually overtaken the 15 certificate, hmm. which I think is something that we've discussed previously, whether films are being dumbed down. I heard a nasty little rumour this week, I don't know whether it's true, The Expendables 3 is going to be a 12A, and if so, there's not really much point to that film, really, is there? Uh, no, I agree. Um, I've, I've moaned about this over and over. And do you know what? It's not because I desperately want films have more swearing and violence and things like that and you know it's but it's about whether or not appropriate but as my biggest issue but it always has been um is is what the bbfc see as being a 12a thing and a 15 thing and to take for example the taken series uh, as an example of that they're quite happy to cut a few kind of like violenty bits to make it a 12A, which does mean that an eight-year-old could go and see it if their irresponsible parent decided to let them, um, or an older sibling, you know, a, an adult sibling or something like that. But um, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. a Batman film. Yeah. That, and for me, that's the difference. The problem is some films you can see why a 12A is appropriate, and I, I think I think the, the Dark Knight trilogy is the perfect example of why the 12A should it works in that scenario for me. Uh, it really does. However, the Taken films are about um, sexual exploitation of people, about um, criminal gangs, and there is no reason a child should be... It's not just about the violence, it's about the thematic issues around these films. And for me, far too many films which have adult themes are being cut to enable kids to go and see them. And I, I just I just find that slightly disturbing. Um, uh, it's, it's not just the take it's a few films I've seen like that Die recently. Hard has gone that way as well uh, yeah it now? And before, it's a shame um, but I keep moaning about it I don't know I can't suggest anything better because the fact is clearly that's where they see the money uh, it doesn't surprise me that 12 A's have overtaken 15 certificates now simply because studios are so scared of it's weird. Is there really that much money in the twelve to fifteen year old age group in I... terms of box office, or is it because people older than that kind of don't want? To... I I don't know what I the don't know. I, because I think I'm the youngest one on this podcast, and I remember when I was that age, and you get your like first part time job, all your money is disposable. So when you're a kid like at that age, we went to the cinema a lot. Yeah, twelve to fifteen, though. Yeah. What kind of job did I could you couldn't get? Yeah, it could... costs the thick end of a tenner to go and see a film How in my not that age, though, surely, because it was only like a, at most a fiver back then. Yeah. Nah. Oh, yeah, it's about seven days, quid. I think. How many twelve to fifteen? Uh, the other thing is, how many twelve? To they're not all. They're not all going to the cinema rather than just downloading the films at home for free. Or James, they're not all knife crimeing people. No. Yeah, I mean, I what I when I was sort of twelve to fifteen, that's when I watched like loads of horror films. I watched you know Where stuff you like Predator. Them? Where at home. Yeah, exactly. But I had to How buy them. these 12 to 15 year olds are actually going to the cinema to watch Taken 2 and uh, The Expendables 3, for example, if it comes. How many of them are actually 12 to 15? I, I would love, I, I don't have the answer, I'd love to know how many 
um, how much of the audience? James, I would. I would. Over, of these films, are actually aged over fifteen, so that the studios could actually. Is there another reason why they're going twelve? I don't know. Is there a psychological reason? Do some adults prefer to go and see twelve A films than fifteen films? I do know that the eighteen film actually eighteen certificate can harm your market, and some people won't go and see an eighteen because they don't think it's that type of thing. And I don't know if the twelve A fifteen's got that same kind of division. I just find it, it it's just it's just very strange. That, that so many films are aiming for that 12A market and I, I just I struggle to see how many films like like I say for example Taken and Taken 2 how many 13 year olds are going to see that in the cinema I, I, but it, I in America see that there's that many of them in America it, it's very different they, isn't it, it? it is but I mean it's still the same film but it's a PG-13 isn't mm. it over there and a PG-13 could be a 12 here could be 15 depends how they interpret it so, yeah, if there's any swearing, it's definitely going to be a yeah, <laughs> you know, a and that's one. the other massive issue I've got. Here. So yeah, I don't think it's been cut to get a twelve A just here. It'll be cut no. to get a PG thirteen because that's the broader market for them. Yes, no, you're probably right there, and maybe maybe it's a, a case of uh, America's cultural hegemony has kind of forced crap onto the rest of the world. I don't know. Uh, it, it it's it for me. It's a concern though because. What it means is people aren't making films to make the films that they want to make. They're making films to fit into a certain very strict set of criteria, and that's that, it. Just doesn't seem great. But I'm a I'm a hopeless idealist who thinks well, that well, James, directors when, and studios should just put out the best possible product they've got. Not when when you're conducting yeah. this survey of who's going to see films. Please don't stand outside the cinema asking young people how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth mentioning, though, that um, the one place that 15 certificate films are doing really well, the one genre where they're they're really cleaning up is comedy. Mm. We've had a couple of solid 15 rated comedies this year, but I think Bad Neighbours and 22 Jump Street, they're the two highest grossing, or two of the highest grossing comedies of the year, and they're solid 15 certificates. And in between us two will... And that will definitely be a... a um, Yes. Kind of local... uh, Mm. Whether whether that's good or bad, that'll do well in England. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's quite interesting. No, that's a good point. And uh, and obviously horror films as well. Uh, Yeah, as ever, as ever. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, they've they've got they've got a certain group of fans. That, yeah, it's. It, I just find I just find it weird. <laughs> I don't know what else. <laughs> anyway, anyway, have haven't we got some more news as well, James? Yeah, oh, some nice news. Um, the BFI have announced their largest ever season, um, taking place from October to December this year. It's the uh, Sci-Fi Days of Fear and Wonder, and it has. Um, they're going not just in London, it's across the UK. A thousand screenings across the UK celebrating sci-fi throughout the cinematic ages. Uh, and a couple of examples of the screenings going on. You've got Flash Gordon showing at the British Museum. Sounds amazing. Um, Village of the Damned uh, showing in the West Sussex market town of Midhurst, which is where H.G. Wells grew up. Um, there's a film being screened at Joddle Bank. Now, Joddle Bank is the huge radio telescope up near Manchester. I saw the flaming lips there once and they projected kind of mid-gig videos onto the radio telescope. And that was So if they're going to project a film onto the radio telescope... I, I, I hope 2001 at Joddle Bank, if, that would be awesome. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just 
it's really nice to see sci-fi being celebrated in that sense. And it's not just screenings as well. They're also um, announcing a load of DVD releases, a load of stuff from TV and film that hasn't had a release before. So you'll be able to find a load of hidden gems and things like What's that. What's that? All them, all them Doctor Who episodes that Robert Mugabe's got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably that's, not his, a, that's his nest egg. There is a, one that's got it. It says um, the long-awaited seven-disc DVD box set of Out of the Unknown, a BBC TV series that ran from 1965 to 71. I've never heard of it. Wouldn't surprise me if Owen's heard of it though. Uh, no, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, damn it. Had you pegged there? Uh, yeah. Obviously not. Um, but yeah, I, so have a look at the BFL website because I think it's really nice that they're kind of taking that. It's across the whole of the UK, England, Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland and Wales. Loads and of great looking screenings. And nothing will probably be happening within, a, you know, 25 miles of me. Oh, you might be surprised. There's stuff at the Eden Project. I'm miles away from the Eden Project. Oh, I don't know. It's outside of London, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Carol's one of these. If it's outside the M25, it's all the same blog, basically. Just, Car- Carol's geography is EastEnders geography, which is London, Manchester and Spain. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's basically it. it. That's and a bit it. of Italy, come on. I'm not London, total Neanderthal. When you leave London on the M25, um, and it's just got that sign where it says, The North. Uh, you know, this is that's just Watford, everything. Then the north, <laughs> and it's it's almost like in Game of Thrones or something. We're, we're beyond the wall. <laughs> yeah, I'm having to go to Enfield next week. I don't know whether I've mentioned this, yeah, okay. and uh, I think I'm probably going to get a nosebleed because that's nearly outside the M25. It's going to be scary. But actually, one of the things that did jump out to me, um, all joking aside, I do love Bristol, and there's um, something really interesting looking on on the um, roster for Bristol, which is. Um, a, an event celebrating uh, J.G. Ballard in Ooh. October at the Cube in Bristol, uh, which I think is quite a quite a decent place, and that'll be quite um, quite well timed as well because I think High Rise will be coming out a few months after that. I was going to say they're just really about to start filming, to. aren't they? Yeah, Ballard, yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, so that concludes part one. And in part two, we're, uh, what we've been watching is going to be taking a look at uh, the Planet of the Apes films from the first one. Right up until Rise, um, with you know, Dawn of the Planet of the X being the new release review for this week. So then, for what we've been watching, we are taking a look at all of the previous, I think it's seven films in the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, I didn't see any of the TV series, and don't think anyone else here has kind of watched any of the TV series, but I know that me and Owen at least have seen all of the films Yes. yes. Had you seen them before this week, Steve, or was this a fresh yeah. watch? No, no, I'd seen them. I'd seen them all. Um, actually, I don't think I'd seen Beneath the Planet of the Apes before, but I'd definitely seen the other, the other oh, four as well as the Tim Burton one and oh, Rise okay. of the Planet of the Apes. Obviously, we know Owen is a big fan of the series. We've mentioned that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have seen. I had before this week. I had seen the original Planet of the Apes, but so long ago. Couldn't remember a thing about it. I think I saw it when I was a kid, uh, basically. So I watched that um, with fresh eyes. Um, and I have, I've obviously, see, I saw Rise uh, when it came out. And I have seen the Tim Burton one, but so long ago. I think I've scrubbed it from my memory or something. So that'll be, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to it, I suppose. Um, uh, so we, we may as well start then at the beginning. Um, yeah, Carol, with... uh, Carol, which ones have you, uh, what have you seen out of interest? 
I've only seen the original one. I, I did see a Tim Burton one a long time ago. I think possibly in the cinema, but not since. Right. And Rise and and Dawn as well. Yeah. So I'm missing the the three rubbish ones and the musical. <laughs> well, who ha- who hasn't seen the musical? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, So it started with it was based on a on a um, a French novel called I think it translates as Monkey Planet, doesn't it, Owen? Monkey Planet, yes, by yes. Pierre Poul. It's a much, it's a much better name in my opinion than Planet of the Apes. Just Monkey Planet. Yeah, it's La, La Planet de whatever ape is. Just Sange. Yes. Oh no, it's Monkey. Monkey Sange. I don't know what ape is. Yeah, Monkey Planet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yes, it was. It was. I suppose the first film is kind of loosely based on the ideas of that film. Um, well, strangely enough, the Tim Burton film is is more of a more mm. parallel mm. to the more parallel yes. to the book than it is than the original film. Original film stars Charlton Heston as an astronaut who crash lands on a mysterious planet about two thousand years in the future. Um... Whoa! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, uh, Someone's yeah. popular. Someone's it's because I'm just using my phone for the Skype conversation, so it's beeped. <laughs> do, we need to do, another, do we need to do another clap, or are you going to be able to... No, it's all right. Yeah. I might just leave it in. <laughs> you can, if it goes again, and it's from my end, just ignore it, because I'm not recording through my phone. I'm just okay, recording yeah. through the laptop. Yeah. It's just the phone yeah. beeped. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll cut this bit out. Yeah. Or I might not. Around 20 minutes. <laughs> just think, 21 minutes in, do some editing. Yeah, I'll, I'll because because this is because this is crap. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so, Planet of the Apes, the original, starts Charlton Heston, astronaut who crashes on a strange planet with two fellow astronauts around two thousand years in the future. Um, it is it, when you when you watch it back, you kind of it doesn't really date that badly. I, I, I was really impressed. I, 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 honestly, I, I think I've stayed away from rewatching it because of. Well, A, everyone knows how it ends. Cause you don't need to have seen the film. In fact, you just need to look at like the cover of any DVD and go, oh, that's yeah. how it ends. Brilliant, <laughs> thanks for that, lads. You just put the end yeah, right big, on the cover. Biggest spoiler ever. Yeah. Just um, Since knowing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give it away on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and kind of you get... To, for some reason, and, and I, I don't know why, and maybe Owen has railed against this for a, for a little while. Um, I, I, the series has a bit of a, a rep of being quite a cheesy load of nonsense. It's because yes. a couple of the films are cheesy nonsense right. in the series, but um, but the, the original's the... actually really really well done. And I think you're right, Steve. It doesn't really date in that sense. Um, there, there's a lot going on in the film as well. Yeah. In mm. terms of the in terms of the themes, you've got you've got kind of racism and kind of you know in a form of speciesism more than yeah. anything. But it's racism. Slavery. You've got slavery. Religion. Uh, uh, evo- ev- action, animal cruelty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ev- evolution. Evolution yeah. versus you know science versus religion. All these kind of different themes, but done you know through the perception of the apes rather than the mm. humans. So there's a, there's a lot going on kind of in terms of message. Yeah. And mm. I think it's really telling um, that they got Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone to. Yeah, I think he's got co-script um, credit, hasn't he? But apparently he did a lot of work on getting the story right and getting the structure right. Uh, 
and it, it does at times feel like um, either uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone or um, actually a little felt quite Star Trekky to me, but like good Star Trek um, in terms of actually using science fiction to uh, to explore some of the the big questions. Uh, mm, big because it, because ideas. if it, if it was old Star Trek, Shatner would have shagged the monkey. Well, that almost happens in the 2001 remake, doesn't it? With yeah, that's a bit. And, uh, that's a bit. That's a bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's strange. Yeah, um, even on Tim Burton's scale, that's a bit weird. That's yeah, a, a little bit weird. Um, I think it's really, it, I, I just really, really well paced, really well told. Uh, you don't even see the apes for half an hour, um, but. It, it's not like you're waiting for something to happen. It's just a really well told story, and the makeup. Wow! I, I, again, I, I watched it with fresh eyes and thought, yeah, obviously I knew it was made in the '60s, but I've seen stuff in the '90s not as good as that. Was... I actually think the remake was really poor in comparison with the with the makeup. To be honest, with the which with the Tim the Burton one. Yeah. yeah, sorry, the Tim Burton one. Yeah. Um, I I just thought it was so much worse than the original, and why why would you bother? Why were they not doing it well motion capture like they ended up doing mm. at that point? Um, there is one scene in Planet of the Apes that makes that made me laugh. That was that all the all the three astronauts went you know, not long after they crash land on the planet. They find a they find like a waterfall, or a lake or something, and they all they all jump in. They all take they kind of jump in. There's one scene where. Charlton Heston stood there with the three of them. They all look down. He says, "Take a look at this." And the other two kneel down at waist height, and you can't see them. And all you can see is Charlton Heston from the waist up, and just the tops of these two heads. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought they, someone must have noticed this in the editing process of what this looks like. Take a look at this. Then two of them kneel down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed that actually. I, I missed that subconscious moments. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this this doesn't look right. So surely someone must have picked up on what this looks like. It can't just be me. Oh, I think you were looking you. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe maybe I was. <laughs> Mister he- Mister Heston cuts it. You know, an incredible figure. What? You can't blame me. <laughs> About the makeup, what what's great because obviously it they created a special Oscar for the makeup uh, and deservedly yeah. so. I think, and I think it's really interesting that. Back in the 60s, it was at the forefront of that form of special effect. And now the, the new generation of the films are at the forefront of the new special effects in terms of motion capture. And it's, uh, you know, this, this series has been, you know, the really quite pioneering in terms of those things. And that, that, that's really, really good as well, because you don't see necessarily... The, well, the Planet of the Apes just doesn't get the respect that some of the other sci-fi franchises does, and I think it's quite important to recognise what it does well. Uh, uh, moving on from, from the original, uh, the first Planet of the Apes, then move on to Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is probably the weakest of the original five. I think Owen probably, as yeah. the only other one here who's seen it, would, would agree yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's, the... it's got some nice themes in it, hasn't it? It's ca- it's carrying on some nice ideals, and and I like the bit about the Forbidden Zone. But yeah, yeah. I agree. It's the weakest of the of the original. So, I mean, to, to wrap up the, the plot a bit, I suppose, um, or to summarise it quickly, is in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, 
Um, Charlton Heston has has moved on down the coast after finding the Statue of Liberty. Big spoiler there, sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you don't know that by now, then that's your own fault. Damn, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and another astronaut from another ship who's trying to find uh, his, his, his Heston's character called Taylor, find his ship. He crash lands. They find basically a underground um, civilization of mutant humans who have been living separately to the apes that the apes don't know about. And they all blow each other up. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and that's about as much as you what need. I, what I do find quite interesting because I, I decided to read up the the plot summaries on Wikipedia and everything of all the ones that I didn't get time to watch this week. And what I do find quite interesting is that um, Charlie Heston only agreed to come back like in a small role for the second one if they could do it in two weeks and if he could kill off the franchise. And he came up with the idea of the ending of that film. And then mm-hmm. they still find a way to just piss him off. Go, no, we're still going to make more films after that, mate. Yeah. And that seems a bit harsh. I felt a bit sorry for it. Yeah, yeah but oh, I'm so glad they did because the ending well, yes. to it is not particularly. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. he just turns up as the hero, and that's it. He's not in it for the rest of the film. He just turns up at the end, and then it's just like, okay, so you get the idea. Charlton Heston is the big star, and but it completely undermines absolutely everything else that happens in that film. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous ending, but then more ridiculous than the ending of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. No, no, no. (laughs) nothing, nothing can top how ridiculous that is. Although it is the same ending as the book, similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So yes, then we move on to um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Yes, which was surprisingly, not even not surprising, but surprisingly after Beneath, uh, very good. So mm. basically, the the two, two of the eight, three of the eight, um, Zira, Cornelius, and I can't remember the name of the other one, escape the destruction of Earth by a nuclear bomb by some means that we never see, but they do escape, um, and end up back in the time where Taylor, Charlton Heston's character, came from, crash landing on Earth, um, kind of as, yep. as sentient apes from the future. Yeah, it, like I agree. I think it's one of the better films of the series as well. Um, the quality is a massive improvement over Beneath in everything, every every area. And I think Cornelius and Zira are really good central characters as well. Mm. You know, uh, I know they're apes and everything, but they're very um, relatable because they're they're these creatures from a different time dumped into the 1970s you know trying to get with the hip fashion wearing all these like flare bottom jeans and in these swanky hotels being being celebrities basically that's what they become although Um, they are essentially just a normal married couple as well but they are just normal a normal married couple that just happen to be chimpanzees yeah uh and, and i suppose moving on from from those two films it's then was it um, conquest? Ba- conquest and then battle, which are kind of telling the same story as what we're having in Rise and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes now. Yeah, although although the last film in in the original five is which one's that? That one's Conquest, isn't it? Or is it Battle? I can't remember. Battle's can the remember. fifth one. Yeah, Battle. <laughs> Battle. Battle's got a bit of a strange beginning and end kind of prologue and epilogue to it, which is a bit. Um, yeah. But I quite liked 
um, Conquest. Battle, not so much, but Conquest I quite liked. Conquest is probably my favourite of the sequels, to be honest. I think it's pretty underrated as well. I know some people think it's, you know, as we've discussed, they think it's a bit cheesy, a bit goofy. Um, but it tells, like, the history of where Caesar comes from and how um, the planet of the apes was formed. And I know it's there's something about, like, a space virus that kills off all the pets. I think that's what the, the, mm. the story is, the place. And so people start getting apes in as pets and then Caesar... Realise like they can... Yeah, they realise yeah. they can do a bit more than just be pets and they can basically use them as, as slaves, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a whole revolt from that's led by Caesar, which is... Mm. But I think, that, that actually, it's a really interesting film. It's got probably the most interesting concept behind it since the original Planet of the Apes, which is this whole thing about um, slavery and rebellion. Um, and it's, I think mm. it's a really intelligent film and, as well. And, and you can see the kind of parallels between that one and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It did, mm. I mean, it seems to, it seems to me that... With obviously, and it's it's quite obvious, really. It's not kind of some, you know. It's the um, the original five films were telling the story in reverse order to what the new films. We don't know how many films it's going to be a trilogy, whether it's going to be five films again or four, whatever. But they're telling it in a different order. So rise, you know, the new the new films need to be starting at the beginning, the same kind of point that um, conquest started at, whereas the other ones were starting very much at the kind of end point of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, Conquest... No, uh, yes, Conquest was the one with the strange kind of prologue and epilogue, wasn't it, with the no, that, kind that, of... That was Battle. <laughs> battle, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I keep getting... Battle is the strange prologue and epilogue, isn't it, with the kind of... Um, the lawgiver. The, the lawgiver, but then at the end you find out that he's teaching humans and apes at the same time so you kind of you're left to kind of make your own mind up whether Zira and Cornelius coming back to Earth and and Caesar and that whole thing has changed the future so what happens with with Taylor in the original film doesn't happen or if there's some kind of breakdown in the intervening years that causes that to still happen yes it's a very ambiguous ending yeah. and as well We're, you know you get the whole monkey statue with a tear and that's yeah. a bit cheesy but it does mean that things you don't know that i mean it's quite a clever ending again in the way that you know because because it is so ambiguous you don't know whether his tear represents that things have changed or whether things haven't changed you know it's yeah yeah interesting the end the end the ending of that's really interesting but the film itself was a bit kind of it's not bad but not good it's kind of the yeah yeah it's a bit Um, um I think the message behind it was very of its time, which was yeah. about, um, you know, a cultural revolution in the mm. in the early seventies. So it's a lot. Of, it's reflecting a lot of what was happening at the time, which makes it very um, much like a social commentary that doesn't resonate anymore. So it just seems a bit boring. But I I, re, I, re, I actually rewatched that before the podcast, um, and I, I, I think actually you know it is still a decent film. It's just a bit muddled, really. Yeah, it kind of has a mixed message, kind mm. of. Um, you'd have thought it would carry on the kind of the theme of the film, where it would lead up, di- you know, lead up, not directly, but kind of proceed 
Planet of the Apes, but it doesn't with that ending. Well, I mean, it's ambiguous. You can figure it out for yourself, but it's kind of <laughs> doesn't. You don't. It doesn't like kind of make you think. Right. So now that's what happened, and that's why things are like they are in Planet of the Apes. Exactly. It doesn't kind yeah. of. You, it doesn't come full circle. It, yeah. I mean, it plays a lot on the whole ape shall not kill ape theme, doesn't yeah. it? With um, General Aldo, who's a gorilla leading. Um, not leading a rebellion, but he's just a bit of a naughty monkey, you know, a naughty ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really um, make enough of that, but it's still good, no. I think. Um, right. And then, so that's the that's the uh, original films from the 60s and 70s. Uh, but then Tim Burton had a go at rebooting the franchise. And that was, what, 13 years ago now, in 2001? Hmm. That, that fell flat on its ass. Um, but I think it, it, there's some there's some decent performances in the film. I think it's just a, a bad film in terms of the the way it's scripted and the way it plays out. That's just yeah. about my recollection of it. Yeah, I, I do remember thinking that was one of my earlier. It's one of the first times I saw Mark Wahlberg in a kind of leading hmm. role, actually. And I remember he does a, he does a good job. Um, uh, uh, Tim Roth does, has some menace about him, but yeah, you're right. So the rest, it's just a bit. <sighs> it's dull. It's yeah. really dull. Yeah. I think that's, that's, is that's the main the thing. Word, yeah. Um, but the I I you know contrary to what Carol was saying earlier, I think the the makeup's pretty good in it. Actually, I, it hasn't got the kind of charm as the original series um, at all. Uh, but this, I think it still looks pretty good. It's it's decent. I just feel that, like at that point, we probably should have moved on from people in monkey suits. That <laughs> that was probably my. Was, well, I know now is it's thirteen years old, but you know, two thousand and one. Uh, you know, C- CG wasn't a, a fledgling uh, industry at that point, and maybe people should have been attempting to do something other than just put people in monkey suits. Oh, I don't know. I think I quite like that about it. I, yeah, I don't think it looks that badly. I mean, we're saying yeah. that people you should, saying that shouldn't, that, you know, we should be on beyond people looking in monkey suits. One of the criticisms of the Hobbit films was that the CGI was a bit crap in some of them. Whereas well, that's, that's where, the least of its problems. But, yeah, but you know, the CGI, <laughs> the, the, the CGI was a bit crap in some of them. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, where they dressed everyone up, it looked really good. Yeah, mm. I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just think, I just think it looked a bit kind of. I'm, I'm struggling to think of the right <laughs> word. Really, it just looked a bit. Uh, for 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 a film that was trying to, obviously, like not identify itself with the original too much. I think it looked a bit kind of throwback. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And um, uh, the ending is. I mean, like well, we said, like I said, like I said, Burton before, says he doesn't know what's going on there. So what? What? Why? Why did he do it? He because he he adapted the book. He didn't he didn't remake the film. He he yeah. adapted the book. So you know you've, yeah. t- you've said as much previously. It yeah. tries to copy what's in the book. So and... so basically in the book the astronaut, um, so Mark Wahlberg's character in the, in the book he manages to get back off the planet with his with his little monkey friend because in 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 the book and in a Tim Burton film he brings a little monkey into space with him. Not yeah, he's a bit of a like it. scientist, really. Yeah. Doing yeah. experiments. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got his little monkey mate and they go back um they go back to Earth. What happens is Earth happens to be 
still run by apes, but it's more of like a 20th century Earth or 21st century Earth. So then he land in front of a statue of what is basically Abraham Lincoln. Oh, nice. The equivalent, yeah, that. but he land because they're French, so I think they go back to Paris. Yeah, in, in so the book, it's... in the in the book, it's Paris. In uh, in a in the film, it's the Washington Monument, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's um, Abraham Lincoln. It's yeah. the big, but with with a monkey with instead a monkey. of a man. Yeah, a monkey in a, a stovepipe hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, and, it's... and everyone in a kind of being John Malkovich kind of thing. You're oh fuck, everyone's monkeys. What the fuck? Yeah, there's was, there was loads of police obviously pull up to a, a crash site for a spaceship and it, and it's all monkeys getting out. And yeah. it's just a bit like, you know, if the film had been good and that had teed up a sequel, that yeah. could have worked. Because the film didn't work, everyone's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Alright, it's based on the book. Still, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but, you know, yeah, if, like I said, if the, film, if the film had been a good one, if the film had been a success and it had teed up a sequel... Because I think that might must have been the plan originally. Um, yeah, it could have worked, but it just fell really flat. And, hmm. and I, I'm I'm not completely okay with um, Tim Burton's filmography and the order in which he did stuff. But is there a possibility that you can start to track his decline from around that period onwards? I'm struggling yeah, to think of a film think... that I've enjoyed since then of his. Full stop. I think he did Big Fish after then, and I I've quite like seen Big Fish actually. Yeah, it's it's quite good actually. Yeah, okay. It's a, you know it's it's not one that he's written; it's just directed by him. Right. So it's it's allowed it to be good. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> some of, some of his other ones can be a bit um, uh, not great. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know when did. When did Ed, Edward was mid nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't yeah, think of a film he did after then. That was, yeah. yeah, did he do a film after that that was any good? Even I can't think of any. Oh, Sweeney Todd's quite good. That's yeah, right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, and then in the um, the reboot of the franchise from two thousand eleven, we have the the preceding film to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which we'll talk about later. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, starring uh, James Franco, John Lithgow, and uh, obviously Andy Serkis as Caesar, uh, all through motion capture, which I'm sure is something that we'll talk about uh, when we come on to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But the motion capture work and the kind of... I mean, he's fantastic. seems to be fantastic in um, anything he does like that. But as Caesar, he was fantastic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. The one thing I remember about Rise of the Planet of the Apes is being how surprised by how good it was. Like the, yeah, the, I, I I thought, oh god, what they're they're rebooting Planet of the Apes? Okay, I just really expected it to be bad, well, or just boring, or just to, nothing like what it was. It was especially because it was like, oh, we've got James Frank. <laughs> like, I expected it to be pretty bad and actually no it was a brilliant film uh, and that's what I re- it's one of the things I really enjoyed about it was that it, it was just a proper science fiction blockbuster seat of your pants type. but yeah. like all good science fiction there was an intelligent art to it it had a believability within, in its own universe it was coherent um, uh, wow it really really restored my faith in a lot of kind of mainstream filmmaking when I saw that because I think it was a bit of a surprise success as well I mean obviously yeah. they 
the people who made it wanted it to do well. Um, but I don't think anyone kind of expected it to do as well as what it did and be as good as what it was. I don't know if any of you remember the trailer, but I think that put a lot of people off it. Um, because they made it look really silly. You know, you had, they had the bit with the gorilla jumping off a bridge onto a helicopter. Yeah. And that gives the complete wrong impression of what Rise of the Planet of yes. the Apes is. And so people thought, oh, it's just going to be a naff CGI monkey yeah. attacking human film. It, it and it's not. not long after um, the, the, terror, the bad Hulk films and things like that. And yeah. It, it looked like yeah. it was going to be a bit like Hulk, but with monkeys. I, I was like... But, I mean, it... it so I didn't I mean, see it, it in the cinema. I, I saw it on... DVD like a long, a little while after that, and I was like, I was really annoyed. I wished I'd gone to see it in the cinema. It works really well because of the the performances really of James Franco and John mm-hmm. Lithgow as the father yeah. and son, and he's and James Franco's a kind of scientist trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's, which his dad suffers from. Um, and those two performances are, are, are brilliant, and yeah. without sounding derogatory, probably a bit too good for kind of the standard summer blockbuster. Then do you know what this is? Maybe this is something I'll pick up in in the the new release review when we do it. Mm. Why? Why? Why should they be too good? Why shouldn't we? Expect no, but you, but that? you know, you why know exactly. Have that kind of writing and that kind you of know, performance, or, or perhaps it's the kind of a different storyline to what you expect in a, a summer blockbuster. You wouldn't kind of expect to see a storyline about a son trying to cure his dad who's suffering from this horrible mental illness. And it's, oh, not, and it's not, and it's not something you'd expect to see when there's, you know, big fight scenes and CGI scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and maybe that's what I've, made I've it as good as what it was. Said bad word about Rise of the Planet of the Apes, um, and maybe, you know, people should actually. That's what a blockbuster should be. It's got performances. It's got clever writing. It's got ambition. It has got brilliant use of CGI. It's got some great action. That for me is your archetypal blockbuster, and why can't more people do it like that? There's, it it shouldn't be such a surprise when a film does it that well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people very highly paid working on these films. Um, they can they can they can do it right, uh, and they should be encouraged to as well. Because I, I I really really enjoyed Rise, uh, and like I say. If more blockbusters were like Rise, we'd be in a far healthier position, in my opinion. Mm. Mm, definitely. Uh, we also had a couple of nods in Rise to the to the original films yes. and to possibly future films as well. So we had um, Harry Potter's enemy. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Draco Malfoy. That's the one. I don't he remember his actual name. His name no. is Draco Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, he's not playing. Dra- he's not playing Draco Malfoy in Rise of the Planet. That's, that would have been weird. He is basically <laughs> playing Draco Malfoy. But he, he he gives it the old "get your paws off me, you damn dirty ape." In yeah. in so we get that, and then in the background of one scene, you see a space shuttle taking off, which is the same space shuttle or spaceship that's yeah. the one that crash yeah. lands on in Planet of the Apes. So I mean, yeah. they've obviously teed it up to do Planet of the Apes at some point. That's obviously coming along. I suppose it's going to depend how long they they think they can milk the franchise for before they actually get round to the to the the big finale. Mm. Yes, uh, I th- I think really I think there's probably one more film in it. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, uh, we'll we'll talk about the new one in a minute. But um, yeah, I I feel that the story's probably a bit going to be laying a bit thin if you're going to be doing more than one one more film. Okay. Uh, so yes, that brings um, 
a conclusion to our what we've been watching section of Planet of the Apes films from the past. Uh, after the break, we'll be reviewing the new release, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's now time then to review our uh, new release, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the second film in the reboot of the series. Uh, here's a clip. You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power. Lights. Heat. Nothing. Hey, pal. That's the advantage. That's what makes them stronger. Malcolm, I'm thinking one of us should stand guard tonight. Wait, what? They took our guns. If one of us dead, we'd be dead already. Maybe they're just taking their time. They already killed off half the planet already. Come on. What? You can't honestly blame the apes. Who the hell else am I going to blame? It was a simian flu. It was a virus created by scientists in a lab. The chimps they were testing on didn't really have a say in the matter. Spare me the hippy-dippy bullet. You're telling me you don't get sick to your stomach at the side of them? Huh? Uh, okay, so that was a clip then of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I'm going to start this off by, just for Jerry, this one. Gary Oldman's in this film. And do you know that his, his sister played Big Mo in EastEnders? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I totally did know that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jer, Jerry didn't. I don't know if you heard that podcast, Gary, but Jerry didn't. And it still blew does. his mind. It still blew does. his mind and it still does now. Yeah. He can't get his head around it. Yeah. You say Gary Oldman's in it. I think he's got a total of about five minutes of screen time, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, I think before we go any further, we should say if you've not seen, if you've not, we're not going to do a spoiler alert for this film. There's, there's no real need to. But if you haven't seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the, this this one might spoil that. Yeah. What this review might spoil that film we're a bit not for you. Spoil Dawn, but we might no. spoil Rise. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. And we've clearly already spoiled the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Down the hall to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yes, what do we all think then of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? I, I liked it a lot. I did think it had one kind of flaw, which I think most people are going to uh, agree with me on. Um, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, really good continuation of the series, although not as good as Rise. Weirdly, I talked about the uh, the low expectations I had for the first film. I then went back to having really low expectations for this film as well. Um, like not not huge. I didn't think it was going to be terrible, but because the first film was so good, and but there was pretty much the only, unless I'm mistaken, the only kind of link is Andy Serkis and some of the other actors who did motion capture for the um, for the Apes. Yeah, it's a different director this time. It's Matt Reeves this time. Um, no James Franco. No, yeah, it, it was quite a. Br- I thought, oh, are they are they just gonna do a rubbish apes? <laughs> Is it gonna be a beneath the planet of the apes? Are they gonna do a terrible one now? Um, and so I don't know if it helped that I went in with low expectations, but I also really enjoyed it. Weirdly, I've been writing up my notes, and the negatives take up more space on the page than the positives. So I do want to. That's- that's just your mindset towards life, though. Yeah, I'm an old, miserable bastard. But uh, the, the fact is, it's because most of the good stuff, I just really quickly wrote, this was good, this was good, this was good, this was good. I've got a few kind of more in-depth things about the flaws, I think, with the film. But I do want to get it right out that I did really enjoy this film. It is one of the best blockbusters I've seen this year. Um, it's right up there. I've I really enjoyed it. The CGI is absolutely incredible. In terms of 
a technical film. Um, and let, you know, we're, I'm sure we will go on to talk about how brilliant Andy Serkis is, but let's not forget Toby Kebbell, Nick Thurston, Karen Conarvel, and Judy Greer, and others. There, there are a load of people doing. Some I, su- I suppose it's. Work. I suppose it's because it's not just CGI. CGI it is motion capture. Yeah. So it's not just people making animated characters move on a computer. It's actually mo- so they. I mean, I read with, I think it was one of the women who were doing the motion capture, and she said she's got a completely different build to the, to a monkey that she was playing. So she asked, she asked the production to whatever to weigh her arms down, so she moved more like the, the, the monkey she was representing. And that's kind of the detail that goes into it. Um, In, in, In terms of a technical achievement, this is up there with gravity for me, in terms of what it technically brings to the screen. You know, the apes, uh, the the realization of that world is utterly fantastic. Uh, and well, I, I read credit for that on its own. I read I read an interview on BBC website somewhere, and it was with kind of um, a, a scientist, someone who studies apes, and he was saying, you know, they were asking him bit silly questions like, could apes ever evolve like this? And then they were asking him how realistic the film was in terms of, you know, obviously the apes are a bit more evolved than what apes are in real life but you know is it kind of a bit of a re- is it do apes actually act like this do they actually communicate you know they do this that the other and then he, he said it's actually a big relief that they can actually make films that look as realistic like this without actually losing real animals because then you don't have to use them yeah that's true that's, that's another really good point as well yeah um but should we, should we start with positives keep going with yeah, positives yeah, before we go to negatives i mean there were, i mean there were some fantastic scenes in the film um, the biggest one for me was when the, the apes attacked the human stronghold base, whatever you want to call it. That was that was brilliant. You mean when they just ride up on the horses? That yeah, they cut the, they... the scene that was in the trailer, which looks completely different in the actual film. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that was a great scene. The, the, you know, so when they when they start coming down the hill, and it's a bit tense to start with, and then they just bound down this hill on horseback, and it's. It's, a, it's, a, it, it, it's one of those those scenes that sort of puts the hairs on the back of your neck, up, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's just a sort of spine-tinglingly uh, brilliant sort of portrayal of, of, of a vengeful <laughs> ape species. Yeah. You know, these people rising up against... Or not even just rising up against, they're just kind of... Just defending themselves. Just defending yeah. themselves, yeah. It's, it's a complete got, clash of cultures. and it's, it seems like it's got a bit of a war film feel to it, that scene. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, and there's and then there's a the bit with Cobra riding through flames on horseback with two guns, which is just. Yeah, I expect which to see some doves great. any moment. <laughs> that was great. I loved that scene. Yeah, there were there were a few like bits where it did kind of just it broke out the popcorn and said, you know what, here's your summer blockbuster scene, but that's fine because that's what it is. It's a summer blockbuster. What what is good is that loads of the other basics it did very well. Yeah, you know, it's a really good narrative. It's well put together. It's, hmm. it's believable in its own universe. Um, the actions of characters had consequence, and they came from a place where you could understand what. So even when people are making stupid decisions, like you know why they're making them, you understand hmm. that a little bit more. And I, yeah, yeah, you you know when when I think his name's Carver, played by yeah. uh, the guy from from Band of Brothers. Yeah. Um, when you know he's an ass, he's stupid, but you can get you you understand why he's doing it because he's got an absolute hatred of 
of monkeys because of Simeon. Even though it's explained to him by someone else, Simeon flu was caused by man in a lab. It just happened to yeah. infect yeah. monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he, yeah. yeah, yeah, but he was just because he'd lost probably everything because of it. Yeah. He had this hatred of of monkeys or apes or yeah. Uh, so the yeah. monkeys, they, they yeah. get really angry about that. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, the the music as well, the soundtrack. I have to say, um, the soundtrack in the original Planet of the Apes. I made a note. I forgot to mention it earlier. Was br- I, I love the soundtrack from the original Planet of the Apes. First ever atonal film soundtrack. Uh, trivia fans. Um, but uh, and apparently Jerry Goldsmith wore a, a monkey mask while he was composing it, so he could get stop. Stop using the M word. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> mask. Yeah, so you don't get angry. But the music for this one, I, I, actually, the score really brought some scenes to life for me, and it was one of those scores that sometimes you don't notice it's there, which is brilliant, and then you notice it in just the right places, and it just adds some texture to some scenes. So I, I really enjoyed the score as well. Um, CGI was fantastic. Uh, well, say CGI, but the, you know the motion capture and things like that, and there were some great action set pieces. Yeah, I loved the opening uh, bit with the hunt, where you see them yeah. all yeah. going on the hunt, and um, Caesar's son is attacked by a bear, and it's just the way that that scene is rescued at the end, which is a great setup for what happens later on in the film as well. Um, but it's all, it, it's all about kind of developing the characters of of the apes more than it perhaps develops the human characters in the yes. film. Definitely. Well, I think I think I we're think talking about pro- positives, though. Yeah. <laughs> we're sticking. Okay. Let's not. Have, have we got any? Have we? Have, we've done all the positives, though, haven't we? And it, it, does, and it transitions. I mean. it, it does a lot of the stuff really. Well. It's difficult to go. You know, stuff looks good. Uh, this bit sounds mm. great. So like it it ticks a load of boxes. If you just went in with a checklist, it ticks a load of those boxes. But there are a few issues I've got. Uh, and it sounds like we're kind of moving in that direction. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I only had one particular mm, yeah. issue. Uh, I think I think the issue is probably going to be shared by a few of us that there wasn't really any kind of character to relate to in the film, whether no. whether whether I'm man or whether apes. you could relate to the apes. There was no. You well, can relate the... to the apes, yeah, which was the which is kind of similar well, to how the original well, films. Yeah, the humans did. But I mean, I think yeah. I don't I don't think in this film. You spent enough time with any character, man or monkey, to kind of relate to them. I mean, I suppose you're meant to know Caesar from the previous film mm. uh, and Cobra as well, and know what they've been through and that. But you don't spend enough time with any ca- any one character in this film to kind of relate to them and, and what they're going through and their situation, everything. Especially the human characters. Uh, obviously, the main two are um, Gary Oldman's character. I, don't, I can't even remember hearing his name. And the other one, which was the name, I think was yeah. yeah. I think the other character, you know, was Malcolm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Jason but, Clark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, th- those are the two central human characters, and you kind of get the sense of why they're doing what they're doing, of why they've got opposing views in that. But you never really get. But only uh, you, you never really spend enough time with them to. Re- you you yeah, and the thing is, you know why because they are the exact same characters you've seen in this type of film over and over again. It's like the characters have just been taken down off the shelf. Gone, oh, this is, you know, apocalyptic film, like this is the man who's willing to go... Or, or who's, go, who's willing to, to go above and beyond to save humanity because he's going to the apes you know, and saying to them, <laughs> it, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, trying to build a truce with them to save humanity, whereas the other one's basically trying to destroy the apes to save humanity. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. They both they both have the same motivation, don't they? I think is at the heart of it. They're both pretty. I mean, it, it, they're both friends. I know the the trailer again is one of these trailers that mm. sets up a different kind of film yeah. to what you're given. And what you see in the trailer is that they're two very opposing people who have very different views on how to deal with ape kind. But in the yeah. film, that if they're forced into behaving the yeah. way they do. Yeah. And it's not through choice, really. That's what I mean. When I said about the positive, you understand. Yeah, people take believable actions in the film. I get. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what, and that's why I still think the film works really well. Is because at least I can believe the actions. I just don't. I have no empathy, really, and I've got no real understanding of where those people have come from to be taking those actions. You know, that that's that's the thing, and and no one really develops hugely through the film. No, they um, don't. They're pretty much at the end of the film. They're pretty much still the same people they were at the beginning of the film. Um, well, Ga- Gary Oldman's character is slightly different, slight, but yeah. I think he's um, an exception because, as well as Carol yeah, said, he doesn't really gain on screen time. To be fair in this, to him. No. you know, his he progression is well through like three scenes. Yeah. He's, he's got mm. Oh yeah, very good. Um, um, you do briefly see a bit. You know, it's about. It's not even a scene. It's like half a scene of what what's motivating him when he when he manages to turn his iPad on. Um, yeah, yeah, and that for me that that's all Oldman. That's nothing to do with the, that's no. nothing to do with the script. That's it's it's what Oldman did in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He is brilliant at um, a very minimalist form of act. He can do things just with his face and his eyes, and he. He is a master of that, uh, and it, it, it. I suppose to give the filmmakers credit, at least they got someone like Gary Oldman for that role. You know, to give them some credit, they they cast that role very well. They just kind of possibly wasted it a little bit there. Yeah, I think so definitely. I was really when I came out of the film last night, I was kind of really struggling to to work out why I was feeling so ambivalent towards it. Um, and I and I did work out it's because we just didn't spend. We were asked to care too much about too many human characters in too short a space of time um, and I actually had a, a conversation with um, Sean on Twitter last night at STH93 who's written a really interesting article which is basically how to kind of fix the film even though I, I don't think it was terrible I just didn't think it lived up to my expectations that's possibly my fault um, but one of the ideas was to to cull the amount of human characters because they are all just given it you're literally ticking them off yeah. um you know there's someone who's lost someone dear to them you know there's someone who's trying to uh, get the power back on for the good of the whole community tick and uh yeah i, I think that teenage possibly boy, teenage there's, there's two, boys, there's two guys that just disappear they're all there they're all there in monkey town yeah and then they all leg it and they you oh, never yeah. see them again. Yes. You don't fight. You never see them get killed. Vanish. You never. They just. They're, they're just not there anymore. Yeah. And then Kerry Russell's character as well, again, which is just, which brings me on to one of my other issues actually, which is the the female problem this film has. Uh, yeah, it's just such a non-event character. Their female lead. Just might as well not be there. Pretty much at one point, she does a bit of doctory work, but as a character, she's absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. And we could have I easily th- just done without her, to be perfectly yeah. honest. 
but all all of the characters really were kind of sexless. There was nothing. There was only really um, Carver who was. It kind of required him to be the bullish alpha male type character, and everybody else could have been male or female characters. I don't think it was that important. But um, but and I might as well say we say it's not important, but but at the same time, it still ended up with ninety percent of the cast being males, and the few females yeah. there had very little screen time. And and it, it, it's and this this is a, this is one of my big points, and it's it by no means is it unique to this film. Um, and I'm just picking it up because you know this is a standard bearer at the moment. This is you know we've said it's one of the best blockbusters we've seen yet. Um, you know, a, a major Hollywood blockbuster where women who make up over half the world's population, they're basically window dressing this film. Um, I, and I did think it was quite notable. And I did read an article that quoted Matt, Matt Reeves was challenged about this by uh, someone writing an article saying, why, have you, why, why aren't there any real strong identifiable female characters in this film? Because there aren't. Um, mm. And he kind of fudged it and said, well, it's a story about sons and fathers and things like that and part and again sounds like yeah but why does it have to be a story about sons and fathers and it actually it's only really about caesar and his son because I, I didn't really get any kind of connection between um, but jason clark's character and his uh, yeah there's kind of like a little forced oh yeah he's sinned things that no one should have sinned and now let's just move on yeah exactly that's certainly yeah. not a kind of father so the whole scene but isn't it supposed to kind of reflect sorry, sorry. carry on I was I was just going to say, isn't it meant to kind of reflect like the opposite side of a father son relationship? So they're actually quite close because they're what they've been through has forced them together. Whereas Caesar and his son live in this utopia, but they're very different, and their ideals are kind of forcing them apart. Isn't it kind of purposely I, I doing that? I'll, I'll be honest, Dan, I haven't read it like that. You certainly could do. Um, I, I don't see why you couldn't read it like that. But at the same time. I, I don't see why. Well, it's a it's a father son relationship as well because of the in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You yeah. know, it was James Lith- uh, yeah. James Franco and John Lithgow were the father son, and it's just a theme that's running through this film and the next film. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know. It, it it just it still strikes me as odd where we can't uh, yeah we just have no, again no strong female character. G- you know, Judy Greer. Spent uh, did some fantastic work. Uh, she's got a dance background. She did some fantastic work um, as Cornelia, um, mm. which is Caesar's kind of wife uh, and mother of his children. Which and I read another article on this, which is really interesting. Yeah, no one actually calls her by name in the film. Mm. It's only if you the end there's... credits you hear that she's called Cornelia, which in itself is a, a callback to the earlier films. But it's yeah. really interesting that no one ever calls her by name in the film, and it's just. It's one more little thing, which is just, it just says we've still got a big issue with, with this, with gender issues in, in major Hollywood blockbusters. And, and I'm not saying this film is the only culprit, and it's far from the only culprit, but it is a real shame when we've got a film that does so many good, so many things well for me, the, the poor characterisation and the fact that it's lazy with its female characters does let it down. I think it's just lazy with all its characters, to be perfectly honest. I don't think it's a... Well, all of them but the apes. Yeah, all the human characters. At least if it had been lazy in terms of... It did have a a main female character. She was just quite quite 2D. But at least she would have been doing something. In this, 
he's quite two-dimensional, uh, Malcolm, but at least he's there for mankind trying to save, you know, trying to do a turn power and stuff like that, and he's just got a woman basically following behind him. And it just What's your other problems, then? It, 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 I don't know why it bugged me so much with this film, but it, it did a bit. Um, my, other, my only other problem, <laughs> and this one's not the main... This, this one actually is more subjective, and some people will disagree with me anyway, but... Um, the the length I, I thought it was a bit too long. It's it's not as bloated and corpulent as Michael Bay. I mean, sorry, uh, a Michael Bay film. Um, but there is <laughs> there is some fat that can be trimmed. And thinking back to the original Planet of the Apes, that told a, a perfectly encapsulated story in one hour fifty minutes, including half an hour before the apes even mm. turned up. This went on for two hour ten minutes. I I know. I never felt like the film was dragging at any point. Again, that's hardly uh, a unique criticism of this film. I looked at my watch twice, I'll be honest. Yeah, I did. No, I'm with Steve. I thought it was paced really well. That's what I'm saying. That one's more of an objective criticism. Some people would... Obviously, clearly, you two didn't feel that at all. Anything else to moan about, James? The other two, I think, are quite... Objective criticisms in a sense. No, no. The strange thing is, usually when it, you know, because we know there's going to be a third instalment, but usually you know a little bit, you know, you've got there's been something released or been some kind of, you know, tease or something to the next film, or there'll be some news, some casting news or something. There's nothing for this, is there? It's just like. There's going to be another one, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, all, it, it's got an IMDb listing, that's about it. But it's as yet untitled, yeah. isn't untitled it? Ape there was three years between this one and, and Rise, though, wasn't there? Or am I... Hmm. No, that's right. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah, three years. It, it was 2011, so it's it's early days at the moment. And apparently it's, it's scheduled for... Uh, Two summers' time, so scheduled nah, for twenty sixteen. Apparently, I think three years was quite a good amount of time for them to leave it between these two. There was just yeah. enough time for you know things to, to pass and I suppose it, uh, it not feel like you're being bumped as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think three years as a rule of thumb for sequels seems to be quite a good length of time. I think two years you can sometimes feel that things are a little bit rushed. Yes. Mm. Well, look at the Spider-Man films. Any of Let's them. Not. No. <laughs> yeah. What the new ones? Yes, the new ones. Let's definitely not. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. The first, the first two are perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Although there was only two years between those, to be fair. Yeah. Let's move on then to uh, the end one. of the podcast let, and recommendations that, that disproves my idea. So let's the, move on. The week ahead, I'm going for <laughs> Thursday night on Five Star, whatever the hell that is, and twenty one and twenty one Jump Street. Uh, Carol? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Five starter of gold. <laughs> yeah, quite impressed. Um, I'm, I'm going for an even more um, obscure channel, which is True Entertainment. It, this, this site assures me it's on Freeview. I have no idea. But on um, uh, Monday morning, one o'clock on Monday morning, uh, American Werewolf in London is showing. No. Which excellent is film. Excellent. 
I recently introduced some friends of mine who was they stayed over to watch the World Cup with me um, a week, couple of weeks ago, and they'd never seen it before. So I was like, right, got the DVD out. We watched it again. I still think it's brilliant. I just, it's excellent. Um, it I actually still really good. I actually only saw it for the first time relatively recently. I went to see Edgar Wright introduce it. Um, BFI have this. Sorry, <laughs> clang. Um, at BFI have this Screen Epiphany series where they get a famous person along to introduce a film that inspires them. And this was Edgar Wright's pick. And he told us the story about um, when it, he, he saw it when he was really young, as most people saw horror films in the 80s. And he was told to go to bed at a specific point, and it was the bit with the dinner party. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more than that. So he, he yeah. sat behind us and he said... Cause, because a few people hadn't seen it so he said I'm going to sit in the audience and, and yell go to bed when they actually did it and obviously this dinner party thing goes on and all of a sudden he yells in my ear go to bed <laughs> which is the most terrifying thing ever because uh, James... you just like from that point on that's you'd have nightmares about that wouldn't you completely yeah. absolutely <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell you all uh, that the best Ale- unless you're Owen who hates fun DVD and Blue on Monday, and that is the Lego movie I'm buying it First thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, best film of the year. Dawn of, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is the blockbuster of the year, though. Surely. I, I, I thought Captain America was still I'm still counting Captain America as, as comic book Planet rather than blockbuster <laughs> action. <laughs> That's your only reason. Because I, I do. How can you... How can you not count it as blockbuster? <laughs> Steve. It did over 700 that's comi- that's a, that's a million. Actually, no, I'm going to go though. with uh, Days of Future Past as my favourite of the year, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I no, I've seen no. that twice in this and run. I'm going to go back. Steve. Not a blockbuster, Nobody's though. picking Godzilla or, Made nearly or um, Transformers. Made three quarters of a billion pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit harsh chucking chump- uh, Godzilla in with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Godzilla. Say uh, no uh, more about Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm picking a film I only watched quite recently by Takeshi Meek Takeshi Mike Takeshi Mika Takeshi Mika whoever you say his name uh, who did 13 Assassins and Ichi the Killer Japanese guy very twisted films a film of his that I watched recently called Audition is on oh, film God, 4 yeah, I had on to turn thir- it off. Thursday evening, sort of Friday morning, one fifteen a.m. Um, Want to watch yeah. with your parents? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> invite your nan around. It's uh, <laughs> I, the, the sound effects in the last cool. twenty minutes of that film were yeah. what really made me feel sick. Yeah, I'm not but, a squeamish person, but I had to abandon that film. Great choice. Exactly. Uh, so I'm pushing that one out there five, as a recommendation so this week. <laughs> Um, that's all for this week before we finish up um, (laughs) uh, James can you just tell us when we're going to tell the listeners when we're going to be back and what we're going to be back with okay so what the plan is now uh, after this podcast the next podcast you will hear will be one from the vaults that I've just not got around to editing properly yet. Yeah. Um, which I think I've been... And you left of, halfway of through. It was over 165 minutes or something <laughs> bizarre like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, I had a sick child uh, who kind of came and got me, so I had to leave. Um, so that'll be out, and then that'll be out 
kind of this week coming and then on about the 29th of July, 29th, 30th of July, basically just before Guardians of the Galaxy is out, uh, we'll be back with uh, reviews of Hercules, possibly, <laughs> we'll go to see Hercules. Um, it's got the rock in it, so I kind of have to. But it's also directed by Brett Ratner. <laughs> I know. It's, oh, so, oh, oh, weigh that Conflicted oh, opinions, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I can see it for free somehow, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and Boyhood as well. Uh, so I would have seen that by then. Carol, you've seen Boyhood already, haven't you? Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll be chatting about Boyhood as well. And then where else we've got there. So that, that's kind of roughly what's coming up. And then the week after that, obviously, we'll all be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, which Carol's seeing this week. Well, yeah, if I can remember anything about it by that point. <laughs> <laughs> have we got any new stuff coming up on the website that you know of? Um, uh, well, we... let, let's just let the listeners know Decade of Film is back because. Um, I spent uh, nearly a year trying to write 1963 and I just knocked it off in an afternoon. So, Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I've stolen the 2000s from Jerry, I think. Uh, I'm just going to force him out. I'll have a chat with him. Um, shifting it all around um, so Decade Film is back we've got some um, reviews of new releases up there, Owen's excellent review of Dawn of the Planet of Apes is up there um, we've also got, do you know what I'm gonna, we're bringing back best film on TV we're trying to we're trying to smarten up our act basically uh, we're, 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 we're still trying <laughs> bear with us yeah bear with us it's yeah, summer and we're hot. <laughs> People are watching <laughs> films again now. The, the, the World Cup's over yeah, now. We can get back to the finished podcast. So thanks to anyone who's listened and anyone yes. who's contributed to the podcast yeah. or the website in any way. Uh, and we'll be back uh, somewhere, whether it's from the vault or with a new podcast, in the next week or so. Help the humans about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. He can talk, 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 I can sing. Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas.
So the twelve A certificate could now go and see a twelve A film. Yes. Yes. I'd I'd like to think that it was in in tribute to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently this is still a, a kind of bone of contention um, because people don't enjoy having to make decisions themselves, and uh, the most complained about film of the year was actually Jack Reacher this year, which was a paltry. Uh, I think it was in 26 complaints in total, which compared to last year, previously it was a woman in black, and that was about 150 people, was actually quite quite good for their standards. Um, but yeah, I think people are trying to push the boundaries of what 12A films are, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think sometimes it's really well done. I remember taking my much younger than 12 at that point brother to see The Dark Knight and sitting there thinking, in the first 20 minutes thinking I'm not sure this is the film for him but uh, but he loved it uh, so you know you can't, you can't always tell but um, I think one of the other interesting um, uh, statistics from this report this, this year was that for the first time um, a record number of films rated 12A has actually overtaken the 15 certificate hmm. which I think is something that we've discussed previously, where the film's being dumbed down. I heard a nasty little rumour this week, I don't know whether it's true, that Expendables 3 is going to be a 12A, and if so, there's not really much point to that film, really, is there? Uh, no, I agree. Um, I've, I've moaned about this over and over. And do you know what? It's not because I desperately want films to have more swearing and violence and things like that. And, you know, it's, but it's about whether or not appropriate. But as my biggest issue but it always has been um, is is what the BBFC see as being a 12A thing and a 15 thing and to take for example the Taken series uh, as an example of that they're quite happy to cut a few kind of like violenty bits to make it a 12A which does mean that an 8 year old could go and see it if their irresponsible parent decided to let them um, or an older sibling you know a, an adult sibling or something like that but um <laughs> Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was yeah. a Batman film. <laughs> that, and for me, that's the difference. The problem is some films you can see why a twelve A is appropriate, and I, I think I think the the Dark Knight trilogy is the perfect example of why the twelve A should it works in that scenario for me. Uh, it really does. However, the Taken films are about um, sexual exploitation of people, about um, criminal gangs, and there is no reason a child should be. It's not just about the violence; it's about the thematic issues around these films and for me far too many films which have adult themes are being cut to enable kids to go and see them and I, I just I just find that slightly disturbing um, and it's, it's not just the take the few films I've seen like that Die recently. Hard has gone that way as well uh, yeah it now? and before, it's a shame um, but I keep moaning about it I don't know I can't suggest anything better because the fact is Clearly, that's where they see the money. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that 12 A's have overtaken 15 certificates now, simply because studios are so scared of... It's weird. Is there really that much money in the 12 to 15-year-old age group in I... terms of box office? Or is it because people older than that kind of don't want... To... I, I don't know what I the don't issue know. is. I... Because... I think I'm the youngest one on this podcast, and I remember when I was that age, and you get your like first part-time job, all your money's disposable, so when you're a kid, like at that age, we went to the cinema a lot. Yeah, 12 we, if we... to 15, though. 
Yeah. What kind of job did I could you couldn't get? You yeah, it couldn't... costs a thick end of a tenner to go and see a film oh, in my not that age though, surely, because it was only like a, at most a fiver back then. Yeah, nah, it's yeah, about seven days, quid. I think. How many twelve to fifty? Uh, the other thing is, how many twelve? To they're 50 not all. They're not all going to the cinema rather than just downloading the films at home for free. Or James, they're not all knife crime people. No, but yeah, I mean, I've what I when I was sort of twelve to fifteen. That's when I watched like loads of horror films. I watched you know Where stuff you like Predator. Them? Where's At the home. Awesome? Yeah, exactly. But I had to How buy many them. Of these twelve to fifteen-year-olds are actually going to the cinema to watch Taken Two and uh, The Expendables Three, for example. If it comes, how many of them are actually twelve to? I, I would love. I, I don't have the answer. I'd love to know how many. Um, how much of the audience? James, I would. I would. Over, of these films are actually aged over fifteen, so that the studios could actually. Is there another reason why they're going 12 I don't know. Is there a psychological reason? Do some adults prefer to go and see 12A films than 15 films? I do know that the 18 film, actually, 18 certificate can harm your market, and some people won't go and see an 18 because they don't think it's their type of thing. And I don't know if the 12A15 has got that same kind of division. I just find it... it it's, just, it's just very strange that so many films are aiming for that 12A market and I, I just I struggle to see how many films like like I say for example Taken and Taken 2 how many 13 year olds are going to see that in the cinema I, I, but it, I in America I see that there's that many of them in America it, it's very they, different isn't it, it? it is but I mean it's still the same film but it's a PG-13 isn't it mm. over there and a PG-13 could be a 12 here could be 15 depends how they interpret it so, yeah, if there's any swearing, it's definitely going to be a, yeah. <laughs> you know, a higher that's one. That's the other massive issue I've got. Here. So I don't it's think it's been cut can... to get a 12A just here. It'll be cut no. to get a PG-13, because that's the broader market for them. Yes. No, you're probably right there. And maybe maybe it's a, a case of uh, America's cultural hegemony has kind of forced crap onto the rest of the world. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's it, For me, it's a concern, though, because... What it means is people aren't making films to make the films that they want to make. They're making films to fit into a certain very strict set of criteria, and that's it. Just doesn't seem great. But I'm a I'm a hopeless idealist who thinks well, that well, James, directors when... and studios should just put out the best possible product they've got. Not when when you're conducting yeah. this survey of who's going to see films. Please don't stand outside the cinema asking young people how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth mentioning, though, that um, the one place that 15 certificate films are doing really well, the one genre where they're, they're really cleaning up is comedy. Mm. We've had a couple of solid 15-rated comedies this year, but I think Bad Neighbours and 22 Jump Street, they're the two highest-grossing, yeah. or two of the highest-grossing comedies of the year, and they're solid 15 certificates. And in between us two will... Uh, and that I, will I definitely will be a... a load of, um, yes. Kind of local... Uh, mm. you know, whether that money. whether that's good or bad, that'll do well in England. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's quite interesting. You no, know, that's a good point, and uh, and obviously horror films as well. Uh, yeah, as ever, as ever. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, they they've got they've got a certain group of fans. That, yeah, it's. It, I just find I just find it weird. Anyway, haven't we got some more news as well, James? Yeah, oh, some nice news. Um, the BFI have announced their largest ever season um, taking place from October to December this year it's the uh, sci-fi days of fear and wonder and it's how um, they're going not just in London it's across the UK a thousand screenings across the UK celebrating sci-fi throughout the cinematic ages 
uh, and a couple of examples of the screenings going on. You've got Flash Gordon showing at the British Museum. Sounds amazing. Um, Village of the Damned uh, showing in the West Sussex market town of Midhurst, which is where H.G. Wells grew up. Um, there's a film being screened at Jodrell Bank. Now, Jodrell Bank is the huge radio telescope up near Manchester. I saw the Flaming Lips there once and they projected kind of mid-gig videos onto the radio telescope and that was so if they're going to project a film onto the radio telescope i i, I 2001 at Jodrell bank if, that would be awesome um uh, yeah and it's just it's really nice to see sci-fi being celebrated in that sense it's not just screenings as well they're also um announcing a load of dvd releases a load of stuff from tv and film that hasn't had a release before, so you'll be able to find a load of hidden gems and things like What's that. that all, them, all them Doctor Who episodes that Robert Mugabe's got? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, his, that's his nest egg. There is <laughs> one that's got it. It says, um, the long-awaited seven-disc DVD box set of Out of the Unknown, a BBC TV series that ran from 1965 to 71. I've never heard of it. Wouldn't surprise me if Owen's heard of it, though. Uh, no, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Damn it. <laughs> had you pegged there uh, yeah. obviously not um, but yeah I, so have a look at the BFL website because I think it's really nice that they're kind of taking that it's across the whole of the UK England, Scotland uh, Northern Ireland and Wales loads and, of great looking screenings and nothing will probably be happening within you know 25 miles of me oh you might be surprised there's stuff at the Eden Project I'm miles away from the Eden Project. Oh, I don't know. It's outside of London, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Carrie's one of these. If it's outside the M25, it's all the same blog, basically. Just, <laughs> Car- Carol's geography is EastEnders geography, which is London, Manchester and Spain. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's basically it. it. That's and a bit it. of Italy, come on. I'm not totally Neanderthal. When you leave London on the M25, um, and it's just got that sign where it says, The North. That's just everything. Then the north, and it's it's almost like in Game of Thrones or something. We're we're beyond the wall. (laughs) Yeah, I'm having to go to Enfield next week. I don't know whether I've mentioned this, and uh, I think I'm probably going to get a nosebleed because that's nearly outside the M25. It's going to be scary. But actually, one of the things that did jump out to me, um, all joking aside, I do love Bristol, and there's um, something really interesting looking on on the um, roster for Bristol, which is. a an event celebrating uh, JG Ballard in Ooh. October at the Cube in Bristol, uh, which I think is quite a quite a decent place, and that'll be quite um, quite well timed as well because I think High Rise will be coming out a few months after that. I was going to say they're I'm just really about looking to start forward filming, to, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, so that concludes part one. And in part two, uh, what we've been watching is going to be taking a look at uh, the Planet of the Apes films from the first one. Right up until Rise, um, with you know, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes being the new release review for this week. So then, for what we've been watching, we are taking a look at all of the previous, I think it's seven films in the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, I didn't see any of the TV series, and don't think anyone else here has kind of watched any of the TV series, but I know that me and Owen at least have seen all of the films Yes. yes. Had you seen them before this week, Steve, or was this a fresh yeah. watch? No, no, I'd seen them. I'd seen them all. Um, actually, I don't think I'd seen Beneath the Planet of the Apes before, but I'd definitely seen the other, the other four as well as the Tim Burton one and oh. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Obviously, we know Owen is a big fan of the series. We've mentioned that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, I have seen, I had before this week, I had seen the original Planet of the Apes, but so long ago, couldn't remember a thing about it. I think I saw it when I was a kid, uh, basically. So I watched that um, with fresh eyes. Um, and I have, I've obviously, see, I saw Rise uh, when it came out, and I have seen the Tim Burton one, but so long ago. I think I've scrubbed it from my memory or something. So that'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to it, I suppose. Um, uh, so we, we may as well start then at the beginning. Um, yeah, Carol, with... Carol, which ones have you? Uh, what have you seen out of interest? I've only seen the original one. I, I did see a Tim Burton one a long time ago. I think possibly in the cinema, but not since. Right. And Rise and and Dawn as well. Me, yeah. So I'm missing the the three rubbish ones and the musical. <laughs> well, who ha- who hasn't seen the musical? So they started when it was based on a on a. Um, a French novel called I think it translates as Monkey Planet doesn't it Owen? Monkey Planet yes by yes. Pierre Poole sounds like an Partridge idea <laughs> well, it's just, it sounds it's a much it's a much better name in my opinion than Planet of the Apes just Monkey Planet yeah it's La, La Planet de whatever ape is just Sange yes oh no it's Monkey it's Monkey yeah. is Sange I don't know what ape is yeah Monkey Planet yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway so yes it was it was I suppose the first film is kind of loosely based on the ideas of that film. Um, well, strangely enough, the Tim Burton film is is more of a more mm. parallel mm. to the more parallel yes. to the book than it is than the original film. Original film stars Charlton Heston as an astronaut who crash lands on a mysterious planet about two thousand years in the future. Um... Whoa! Hello. <laughs> Someone's popular. It's because I'm just using my phone for the Skype conversation, so it's beeped. Do we need to have a clap, or are you going to be able to... No, it's alright. I might just leave it in. If it goes again, and it's from my end, just ignore it, because I'm not recording through my phone. I'm just recording through the laptop. It's just the phone that beeped. Oh, yeah, that's true. Anyway, yeah, I'll cut this bit out. Yeah. Or I might not. Around twenty, <laughs> just think twenty-one minutes in, do some editing. Yeah, because because this is because this is crap. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so, Planet of the Apes, the original, stars Charlton Heston, astronaut who crashes on a strange planet with two fellow astronauts around two thousand years in the future. Um, it is it, when you when you watch it back, you kind of it doesn't really date that badly. I, I, I was really impressed. I, 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 honestly, I, I think I've stayed away from rewatching it because of, well, a, everyone knows how it ends because you don't need to have seen the film. In fact, you just need to look at like the cover of any DVD and go, "Oh, that's yeah. how it ends." Brilliant, <laughs> thanks for that. Lads. You just put the end, yeah, right big, on the cover. <laughs> biggest spoiler ever. Yeah. Just um, since knowing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give it away on the poster. <laughs> yes, but... um, and and kind of you get. To, for some reason, and, and I, I don't know why, and maybe Owen has railed against this for a, for a little while. Um, I, I, the series has a bit of a, a rep of being quite a cheesy load of nonsense. Well, it's because yeah. a couple of the films are cheesy nonsense right. in the series, but um, but the, the original's the... actually really really well done. I, I think you're right, Steve. It doesn't really date in that sense. Um, there, there's a lot going on in the film as well. Yeah. In terms mm. of the in terms of the themes, you've got you've got kind of racism and kind of 
you know, in the form of species and more than yeah. anything, but it's racism. Slavery. Got slavery, religion. Uh, uh, evo- ev- animal cruelty. E- yeah, <laughs> yeah ev- evolution, evolution yeah. versus, you know, science versus religion. All these kind of different themes, but done, you know, through the perception of the apes rather than the mm. humans. So there's a, there's a lot going on, kind of, in terms of message. Yeah, and mm. I think it's really telling um, that they got Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone to... Yeah, I think he's got co-script um, credit, hasn't he? But apparently, he did a lot of work on getting the story right and getting the structure right. Uh, and it, it does at times feel like um, either uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone or um, actually a little felt quite Star Trekky to me, but like good Star Trek um, in terms of actually using science fiction to. Uh, to explore some of the the big questions um, mm, big because it because ideas. if it, if it was old Star Trek, Shatner would have shagged the monkey. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he clearly would have massively shagged that monkey. Yeah, well, that almost happens in the 2001 remake, doesn't it? With yeah, that's a bit. That's a bit. That's a bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's strange. Yeah, um, even, even on Tim Burton scale, that's a bit. Weird. That's yeah, a, that's a little bit weird. Um, uh, I think it's really. It, just really really well paced really well told you don't even see the apes for half an hour um, but it, it's not like you're waiting for something to happen it's just a really well told story and the makeup wow I, I, again I, I watched it with fresh eyes and thought yeah obviously I knew it was made in the 60s but I've seen stuff in the 90s not as good as that was... I actually think the remake was really poor in comparison with the with the makeup to be honest, well, the which well, the Tim the, Burton one, yeah. yeah, sorry, the Tim Burton one, yeah. Um, I I just thought it was so much worse than the original, and why why would you bother? Why were they not doing it well motion capture like they ended up doing mm. at that point? Um, there's one scene in Planet of the Apes that makes that made me laugh. That was that all the all the three astronauts went you know, not long after they crash land on the planet, they find a they find like a waterfall, a lake or something. And they all they all jump in. They all take they kind of jump in. There's one scene where Charlton Heston stood there with the three of them. They all look down. He says, "Take a look at this." And the other two kneel down at waist height, and you can't see them. And all you can see is Charlton Heston from the waist up and just the tops of these two heads. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought they, someone must have noticed this in the editing process of what this looks like. Take a look at this. Then two of them kneel down. LAUGHTER <laughs> I, I miss that actually. I, I miss that subconscious Freudian <laughs> moment. I just thought this this doesn't look right. So surely <laughs> someone must have picked up on what this looks like. It can't just be me. Oh, I think, I think you were looking you. for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe maybe I was. <laughs> Mister um, he- Mister Heston cuts it. You know, an incredible figure. What, you can't blame me. <laughs> about the makeup, what what was great because obviously it they created a special Oscar for the makeup uh, and deservedly yeah. so I think and I think it's really interesting that back in the 60s it was at the forefront of that form of special effect and now the, the new generation of the films are at the forefront of the new special effects in terms of motion capture and it's uh, you know this this series has been you know the really quite pioneering in terms of those things and that that that's really, really good as well because you don't see necessarily... The, well, the Planet of the Apes just doesn't get the respect that some of the other sci-fi franchises does. And 
I think it's quite important to recognise what it does well. Uh, uh, moving on from, from the original, uh, the first Planet of the Apes, then move on to Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is probably the weakest of the original five. I think Owen would probably, as yeah. the only other one here who's seen it, would, would agree. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's, the... it's got some nice themes in it, hasn't it? It's ca- it's carrying on some nice ideals, and and I like the bit about the Forbidden Zone. But yeah, yeah. I agree. It's the weakest of the of the original. So, I mean, to, to wrap up the the plot a bit, I suppose, um, or to summarise it quickly, is in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, um, Charlton Heston has has moved on down the coast after finding the Statue of Liberty. Big spoiler there. Sorry. Um, but if you don't know that by now, then that's your own fault. Damn, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and another astronaut from another ship who's trying to find uh, his, his, his Heston's character's called Taylor, find his ship. He crash lands. They find basically a underground um, civilization of mutant humans who have been living separately to the apes that the apes don't know about. And they all blow each other up. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's about as much as you need. What I, what I do find quite interesting because I, I decided to read up the the plot summaries on Wikipedia and everything of all the ones that I didn't get time to watch this week. And what I do find quite interesting is that um, Charlie Heston only agreed to come back like in a small role for the second one if they could do it in two weeks and if he could kill off the franchise. And he came up with the idea of the ending of that film. And then mm-hmm. they still find a way to just piss him off. Go, no, we're still going to make more films after that, mate. Yeah. And it's, that seems a bit harsh. I felt a bit sorry for it. Yeah, yeah but I'm so glad they did because the ending well, yes. to it is not particularly. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. he just turns up as the hero, and that's it. He's not in it for the rest of the film. He just turns up at the end, and then it's just like, okay, so you get the idea. Charlton Heston is the big star, and but it completely undermines absolutely everything else that happens in that film. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous ending, but then more ridiculous than the ending of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. No, no, no. (laughs) nothing, nothing can top how ridiculous that is. Although it is the same ending as the book, similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So yes, then we move on to um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Yes, which was surprisingly not even not surprising, but surprisingly after Beneath, uh, very good. So mm. basically, the, the two, two of the eight, three of the eight, um, Zira, Cornelius, and I can't remember the name of the other one, escape the destruction of Earth by a nuclear bomb by some means that we never see, but they do escape, um, and end up back in the time where Taylor, Charlton Heston's character, came from, crash landing on Earth, um, kind of as, yeah. as sentient apes from the future. Yeah, it, like I agree. I think it's one of the better films of the series as well. Um, the quality is a massive improvement over Beneath in everything, every every area. And I think Cornelius and Zira are really good central characters as well. Mm. You know, uh, I know they're apes and everything, but they're very um, relatable because they're they're these creatures from a different time dumped into the 1970s, you know, trying to get with the hip fashion, wearing all these, like, flare-bottom jeans and in these swanky hotels being being celebrities, basically. That's what they become. Although um, they are essentially just a normal married couple as well. But they are just normal a normal married couple that just happen to be chimpanzees. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
I suppose moving on from from those two films, it's then was it um, conquest, ba- conquest, and then battle, which are kind of telling the same story as what we're having in Rise and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes now. Yeah, although although the last film in in the original five is. Which one's that? That one's Conquest, isn't it? Or is it Battle? I can't remember. Battle's can the fifth remember. one, yeah. Battle. <laughs> Battle. Battle's got a bit of a strange beginning and end kind of prologue and epilogue to it, which is a bit... Um, yeah. But I quite liked um, Conquest. Battle, not so much, but Conquest I quite liked. Conquest is probably my favourite of the sequels, to be honest. I think it's pretty underrated as well. I know some people think it's... You know, as we've discussed, they think it's a bit cheesy, a bit goofy. Um, but it tells, like, the history of where Caesar comes from and how um, the planet of the apes was formed. And I know it's there's something about, like, a space virus that kills off all the pets. I think that's what the, the, mm. the story is, the place. And so people start getting apes in as pets and then... Realise they can, yeah. They realise yeah. they can do a bit more than just be pets, and they can basically use them as as slaves, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a whole revolt from that's led by Caesar, which is. Mm. But I think that, that actually it's a really interesting film. It's got probably the most interesting concept behind it since the original Planet of the Apes, which is this whole thing about um, slavery and rebellion, um, and it's. I think mm. it's really intelligent. And, well. and, and you can see the kind of parallels between that one and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It did, mm. I mean, it seems to it seems to me that with obviously, and it's it's quite obvious, really. It's not kind of some, you know, it's the that um, the original five films were telling the story in reverse order to what the new films. We don't know how many films it's going to be a trilogy, whether it's going to be five films again or four, whatever. But they're telling it in a different order. So Rise, you know, the new the new films need to be starting the beginning the same kind of point that um conquest started at whereas the other ones were starting very much at the kind of end point of the story mm-hmm. um and yeah conquest no uh, yes conquest was the one with the strange kind of prologue and epilogue wasn't it with the no, that, kind that, of that was battle <laughs> battle sorry yeah, yeah i keep getting battle with the, it's the strange prologue and epilogue isn't it with the kind of um the lawgiver the, the lawgiver, but then at the end you find out that he's teaching humans and apes at the same time. So you kind of you're left to kind of make your own mind up whether Zira and Cornelius coming back to Earth and and Caesar and that whole thing has changed the future. So what happens with with Taylor in the original film doesn't happen, or if there's some kind of breakdown in the intervening years that causes that to still happen. Yes. It's a very ambiguous ending. Yeah. And as well, We're, you know, you get the whole monkey statue with a tear. And that's yeah. a bit cheesy. But <laughs> it does mean that things you, you don't know. That I mean, it's quite a clever ending again in the way that, you know, because it is so Im- ambiguous. You don't know whether yeah. his tear represents that things have changed or whether things haven't changed. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, interesting. The, en- the, en- the ending of that's really interesting, but the film itself is a bit kind of... It's not bad, but not good. It's kind of the yeah, yeah. It's a bit. Um, um, I think the message behind it was very of its time, which was yeah. about um, you know a cultural revolution 
in the mm. in the early seventies. So it's a lot. Of, it's reflecting a lot of what was happening at the time, which makes it very um, much like a social commentary that doesn't resonate anymore. So it just seems a bit boring. But I I re I actually rewatched that before the podcast, um, and I, I I think actually you know it is still a decent film. It's just a bit muddled, really. Yeah, it kind of has a mixed message, kind mm. of. Um, you'd have thought it would carry on the kind of the theme of the film, where it would lead up, di- you know, lead up, not directly, but kind of proceed Planet of the Apes, but it doesn't with that ending. Well, I mean, it's ambiguous; you can figure it out for yourself. But it's kind of <laughs> doesn't. You don't, it doesn't like kind of make you think. Right, so now that's what happened, and that's why things are like they are in Planet of the Apes. Exactly. It doesn't kind yeah. of. It doesn't come full circle. It, yeah, I mean, it plays a lot on the whole ape shall not kill ape theme, doesn't yeah. it? With um, General Aldo, who's a gorilla leading... Um, not leading a rebellion, but he's just a bit of a naughty monkey, you know, a naughty ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really um, make enough of that, but it's still good, no. I think. Um, right. And then, so that's the, that's the uh, original films from the 60s and 70s. Uh, but then... Tim Burton had a go at rebooting the franchise. And that was what thirteen years ago now, two thousand and one. Hmm. That that fell flat on its ass. Um, but I think it, it, there's some there's some decent performances in the film. I think it's just a, a bad film in terms of the the way it's scripted and the way it plays out. That's just yeah. about my recollection of it. Yeah, I, I do remember thinking that was one of my earlier. It's one of the first times I saw Mark Wahlberg in a kind of leading hmm. role, actually, and I remember he does a, he does a good job. Um, uh, uh, Tim Roth does, has some menace about him, but yeah, you're right. So the rest, it's just a bit. <sighs> it's dull. It's yeah. really dull. Yeah. I think that's, 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 is the main the thing. Word, yeah. Um, but the I I you know contrary to what Carol was saying earlier, I think the the makeup's pretty good in it actually. It hasn't got the kind of charm as the original series um, at all, uh, but this—I think it still looks pretty good. It's—it's it's decent. I just feel that, like at that point, we probably should have moved on from people in monkey suits. That—that <laughs> that was probably my. Was, well, I know now is it's thirteen years old, but you know, two thousand and one. Uh, you know. CG wasn't a, a fledgling uh, industry at that point and maybe people should have been attempting to do something other than just put people in monkey suits Oh, I don't know, I think I quite like that about it I, Yeah, I don't think it looked that badly I mean, you're saying yeah. that people you should, saying that shouldn't, you know, we should be on beyond people looking in monkey suits, one of the criticisms of the Hobbit films was that the CGI was a bit crap in some of them Whereas, well, that's that's where, the least of its problems. But, yeah, but you know the CGI, <laughs> the, the, the CGI was a bit crap in some of them. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, where they dressed everyone up, it looked really good. Yeah, mm. I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just think, I just think it looked a bit kind of. I'm, I'm struggling to think of the right <laughs> word. Really, it just looked a bit. Uh, for 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 a film that was trying to, obviously, like not identify itself with the original too much. I think it looked a bit kind of throwback. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And um, uh, the ending is, I mean, like well, we said, like I said, like I said, even like Tim I said, Burton before, says he doesn't know what's going on there. So what? What? Why? Why did he do it? 
because he he adapted the book. He didn't he didn't remake the film. He he yeah. adapted the book. So you know you've yeah. t- you've said as much previously. It yeah. tries to copy what's in the book. So so basically in the book the astronaut um so Mark Wahlberg's character in the, in the book he manages to get back off the planet with his with his little monkey friend because in 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 the book and in a Tim Burton film he brings a little monkey into space with him. Yeah, yeah he's a bit of a like scientist really yeah. doing yeah. experiments. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got his little monkey mate and they go back. Um, they go back to Earth. What happens is, Earth happens to be still run by apes, but it's more of like a 20th century Earth or 21st century Earth. So then he land in front of a statue of what is basically Abraham Lincoln. That was nice. The equivalent, yeah, but he land, because they're French, so I think they go back to Paris. Yeah, in, in so the book, in the, in the book, it's Paris in, uh, in a, in a, in the film, it's the Washington Monument, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, Abraham Lincoln. It's yeah. the big, but with, with a monkey with instead a monkey. of a man, yeah, a monkey in a, a stovepipe hat. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, yeah. It's, and everyone in a kind of being John Malkovich kind of thing. You're oh fuck, everyone's monkeys. What the fuck? Yeah, there's there's loads of police obviously pull up to a, a crash site for a spaceship, and it, and it's all monkeys getting out. And yeah. it's just a bit like you know, if the film had been good, and that had teed up a sequel, that yeah. could have worked. Because the film didn't work, everyone's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Alright, it's based on the book. Still, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. If, like I said, if the film, if the film had been a good one, if the film had been a success and it had teed up a sequel, because I think that might, must have been the plan originally, um, yeah, it could have worked, but it just fell really flat. And, hmm. and I'm, I'm not completely okay with, um, Tim Burton's filmography and the order in which he did stuff, but, is there a possibility that you can start to track his decline from around that period onwards? I'm struggling yeah, to think of a film think... that I've enjoyed since then of his, full stop. I think he did Big Fish after then. And I've I quite like seen Big Fish, Fish, actually. Yeah, it's it's quite good, actually. Yeah, okay. It's, a, you know, it's it's not one that he's written, it's just directed by him. Right. So it's it's allowed it to be good. Whereas <laughs> some of, some of his other ones can be a bit um, uh, not great, mm. but um, yeah, I don't know when did when did Ed, Edward was mid nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't yeah, think of a film he did after then. That was, yeah. yeah, did he do a film after that that was any good? Even I can't think of any. Oh, Sweeney Todd's quite good. That's all right. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> And then in the um, the reboot of the franchise from 2011, we have the the preceding film to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which we talk about later. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, starring uh, James Franco, John Lithgow, and uh, obviously Andy Serkis as Caesar, uh, all through motion capture, which I'm sure is something that we'll talk about uh, when we come on to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But the motion capture work and the kind of I mean, he's fantastic. Seems to be fantastic in um, anything he does like that. But as Caesar, he was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the one thing I remember about Rise of the Planet of the Apes is being how surprised by how good it was. Like yeah. The, yeah I, I, I thought, oh, God, what, they're, they're rebooting Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. I just really expected it to be bad. Well, or just boring. Or just... 
nothing like what it was. It was re- especially because it was like, oh, we've got James Frank. <laughs> it's just it, like, I expected it to be pretty bad, and actually, no, it was a brilliant film. Uh, and that's what I. It's re- one of the things I really enjoyed about it was that it, it was just a proper science fiction blockbuster, seatier pants stuff. But yeah. Like all good science fiction, there was an intelligent art to it. It had a believability within in its own universe. It was coherent. Um, uh, wow, it really, really restored my faith in a lot of kind of mainstream filmmaking when I saw that. Because I think it was a bit of a surprise success as well. I mean, obviously yeah. the the people who made it wanted it to do well, um, but I don't think anyone kind of expected it to do as well as what it did and be as good as what it was. Mm. I don't know if any of you remember the trailer, but I think that put a lot of people off it um, because they made it look really silly. You know, mm. you had, they had the bit with the gorilla jumping off a bridge onto a helicopter. Yeah. And that gives the complete wrong impression of what Rise of the Planet of yes. the Apes is. And so people thought, oh, it's just going to be a naff CGI monkey yeah. attacking human film. It, it and it's not. not long after um, the, the, terror, the bad Hulk films and things like that. And yeah. It looked like yeah. it was going to be a bit like Hulk, but with monkeys. I, I was like... But, I mean, it, it, so I didn't I mean, see it, it in the cinema. I, I saw it on DVD like, a, long, a little while after that. And I was like, I was really annoyed. I wished I'd gone to see it in the cinema. It worked really well because of the, the performances, really, of James Franco and John mm-hmm. Lithgow as the father yeah. and son. And, he's, and James Franco is a kind of scientist trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's, which his dad suffers from. Um, and those two performances are, are, are brilliant and yeah. without sounding derogatory probably a bit too good for kind of the standard summer blockbuster but then the, do you know what they see maybe this is something I'll pick up in in the the new release review when we do it mm. why? why why should they be too good why shouldn't we expect no, but you, but that, you know you why know exactly have that kind of writing and that kind you of know, performance or, or perhaps it's the kind of a different storyline to what you expect in a, a summer blockbuster you wouldn't kind of expect to see a storyline about a son trying to cure his dad who's suffering from this horrible mental illness. No, I not, agree. And I'm it's not, and it's not something you'd expect to see when there's, you know, big fight scenes and CGI scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but, and maybe that's what I've, made I've it as good as what it was. I've said bad word about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and maybe... Yeah, you know, people should actually. That's what a blockbuster should be. It's got performances. It's got clever writing. It's got ambition. It has got brilliant use of CGI. It's got some great action. That for me is your archetypal blockbuster. And why can't more people do it like that? There's it. It shouldn't be such a surprise when a film does it that well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people very highly paid working on these films. Um, they can they can they can do it right. Uh, and they should be encouraged to as well. Because I, I I really really enjoyed Rise, uh, and like I say, if more blockbusters were like Rise, we'd be in a far healthier position, in my opinion. Mm. Mm, definitely. We also had a couple of nods in Rise to the to the original films yes. and to possibly future films as well. So we had um, Harry Potter's enemy. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Draco Malfoy. That's the one. I don't it remember was, his actual name. His name no. is Draco Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, he's not playing. Dra- he's not playing Draco Malfoy in Rise of the Planet. Yeah, out of it, weird. He is basically playing Draco Malfoy. <laughs> but he 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 gives it the old "get your paws off me, you damn dirty ape." In yeah. in so we get that, and then in the background of one scene, you see a space shuttle taking off, which is the same space shuttle or spaceship that's 
the one that Crash yeah. lands on in Planet of the Apes. So, I mean, yeah. they've obviously teed it up to do Planet of the Apes at some point. That's obviously coming along. I suppose it's going to depend how long they they think they can milk the franchise for before they actually get round to the to the the big finale. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I th- I think really I think there's probably one more film in it. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, uh, we'll we'll talk about the new one in a minute. But um, yeah, I I feel that the story's probably a bit going to be laying a bit thin if you're going to be doing more than one one more film. Okay. Uh, so yes, that brings um, a conclusion to our what we've been watching section of Planet of the Apes films. From the past, uh, after the break, we'll be reviewing the new release, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's now time then to review our uh, new release, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the second film in the reboot of the series. Uh, here's a clip. You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power. Lights. Heat. Nothing. Hey, pal. That's the advantage. That's what makes them stronger. Malcolm, I'm thinking one of us should stand guard tonight. With what? They took our guns. If they wanted us dead, we'd be dead already. Maybe they're just taking their time. They already killed off half the planet already. Come on. What? You can't honestly blame the apes. Who the hell else am I going to blame? It was a simian flu. It was a virus created by scientists in a lab. The chimps they were testing on didn't really have a say in the matter. Spare me the hippy-dippy bullet. You're telling me you don't get sick to your stomach at the side of them? Huh? Uh, I guess that was a clip then of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I'm going to start this off by, just for Jerry, this one. Gary Oldman's in this film. And do you know that his (laughs) his sister played Big Mo in EastEnders? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I totally did know that. Yeah. <laughs> Jer- Jer- Jerry didn't. I don't know if you heard that podcast, Carol, but Jerry didn't, and it still blew his it. mind. It still blew his mind, and it still does now. Yeah. He can't get his head around it. Yeah. You say Gary Oldman's in it. I think he's got a total of about five minutes of screen time, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think before we go any further, we should say if you've not seen. If you've not, we're not going to do a spoiler alert for this film. There's, there's no real need to, but if you haven't seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, this this one might spoil that. Yeah. What this review might spoil that film We're a bit for you. We're not going to spoil Dawn, but we will no. spoil Rise. Yeah, That's yeah. Enough. And we've clearly already spoiled the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah, down the hall to hell. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Um, so yes, what do we all think then of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? I I liked it a lot. I did think it had one kind of flaw, which I think most people are going to uh, agree with me on. Um, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, really good continuation of the series, although not as good as Rise. Weirdly, I talked about the uh, the low expectations I had for the first film. I then went back to having really low expectations for this film as well. Um, like not not hu- I didn't think it was going to be terrible, but because the first film was so good, and but there was pretty much the only. Unless I'm mistaken, the only kind of link is Andy Serkis and some of the other actors who did motion capture for the um, for the Apes. Yeah, it's a different director this time. It's Matt Reeves this time. Um, no James Franco. No. Yeah, it, it mm. was quite a. Br- I thought, oh, are they are they just gonna do a rubbish Apes? <laughs> is it gonna be a Beneath the Planet of the Apes? Are they gonna do a terrible one now? 
Um, and so I don't know if it helped that I went in with low expectations, but I also really enjoyed it. Weirdly, I've been writing up my notes and the negatives take up more space on the page than the positives. So I do want to... That's, that's just your mindset towards life, though. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm an old, miserable bastard. But uh, the, the fact is, it's because most of the good stuff, I just really quickly wrote, this was good, this was good, this was good, this was good. I've got a few kind of more in-depth things about the flaws, I think, with the film. But I do want to get it right out that I did really enjoy this film. It is one of the best blockbusters I've seen this year. Um, it's right up there I've really enjoyed it the CGI is absolutely incredible in terms of a technical film um, and then, you know, we're, I'm sure we will go on to talk about how brilliant oh, Andy oh. Serkis is but let's not forget Toby Kebbell Nick Thurston, Karen Connarville and Judy Greer and others there, there are a load of people doing some I, su- I suppose it's work. I suppose it's because it's not just CDI, CGI it is motion capture yeah. so it's not just people making animated characters move on a computer it's actually mo- so they've I mean I read with I think it was one of the women who were doing the motion capture and she said oh, she's got a completely different build to the to a monkey that she was playing so she asked she asked the production to whatever to weigh her arms down so she moved more like yeah. the, the the monkey she was representing and that's kind of the detail that goes into it um, in, in, in terms of a technical achievement this is up there with gravity for me in terms of what it technically brings to the screen, it, you know, the apes, uh, the the realization of that world is utterly fantastic. Uh, and well, I, I read it, credit for that on its own. I read I read an interview on BBC website somewhere, and it was with kind of um, a, a scientist, someone who studies apes, and he was saying, you know, they were asking him a bit silly questions like, could apes ever evolve like this? And then they were asking him how realistic the film was in terms of. You know, obviously the apes are a bit more evolved than what apes are in real life. But you know, is it kind of a bit of a? Re- is it do apes actually act like this? Do they actually communicate? You know, do they do this, that, and the other. And then he he said it's actually a big relief that they can actually make films that look as realistic like this without actually losing real animals, because then you don't have to use them. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's another really good point as well. Yeah. Um, but should we should we start with positives? Keep going with positives yeah, yeah, before we go into negatives. I mean, there were. I mean, there were some fantastic scenes in the film. Um, the biggest one for me was when the, the apes attacked the human stronghold, base, whatever you want to call it. That was that was brilliant. It, it, you mean when they just ride up on the horses? That yeah, they in, can't, they... the scene that was in the trailer, which looks completely different in the actual film. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that was a great scene. The, the, you know, so when they when they start coming down the hill, and it's a bit tense to start with, and then they just bound down this hill on horseback and it's it's a it's, it, a, it, it's one of those those scenes that sort of puts the hairs on the back of your yeah. neck up, yeah. isn't it I mean it's just a sort of spine tinglingly uh, brilliant sort of portrayal of a vengeful ape species yeah. you know these people rising up against or not even just rising up against they're just kind of just defending themselves just defending yeah. themselves yeah it's right. a complete it's got, clash of cultures and it's, it seems that it's got a bit of a war film feel to it that scene yes definitely um, yeah and, there's, and then there's a the bit with Cobra riding through flames on horseback with two guns which is just I expect which to see some doves great. any moment <laughs> That was great. I loved that scene. Yeah, there were there were a few like bits where it, it did kind of just 
it broke out the popcorn and said, you know what, here's your summer blockbuster scene. But that's fine because that's what it is. It's a summer blockbuster. What what is good is that loads of the other basics it did very well. Yeah, it's a really good narrative. It's well put together. It's, hmm. it's believable in its own universe. Um, the actions of characters had consequence and they came from a place where you could understand what so even when people are making stupid decisions like you know why they're making them you understand mm. that a little bit more and I, yeah I, you you know when when i think his name's carver played by yeah. uh the guy from from band of brothers yes. um when you know he's an arse he's stupid but you can get you you understand why he's doing it he's got an absolute hatred of of monkeys because of Simeon, even though it's explained to him by someone else, Simeon flu was caused by man in a lab. It just happened to yeah. infect yeah, monkeys. Yeah, yeah. 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 but he, yeah. yeah, yeah, but he was just because he'd lost probably everything because of it. Yeah. He had this hatred of of monkeys or apes or yeah, uh, so, yeah. monkeys. They, they yeah. get really angry about that. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, the, the music as well, the soundtrack. I have to say. Um, the soundtrack in the original Planet of the Apes, I made a note, I forgot to mention it earlier, was, I, I love the soundtrack from the original Planet of the Apes. First ever atonal film soundtrack. Uh, trivia fans. Um, but, uh, and apparently Jerry Goldsmith wore a, a monkey mask while he was composing it so he could get stop, a Stop using the M word. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> mask, yeah, so you don't get angry. But the music for this one, I, I, actually the score really brought some scenes to life for me. And it was one of those scores that Sometimes you don't notice it's there, which is brilliant, and then you notice it in just the right places, and it just adds some texture to some scenes. So I, I really enjoyed the score as well. Um, CGI was fantastic. Uh, well, say CGI, but the, you know, the motion capture and things like that, and there were some great action set pieces. Yeah, I loved the opening uh, bit with the hunt, where you see them yeah. all yeah. going on the hunt, and um, Caesar's son is attacked by a bear. And it's just the way that the, that scene is rescued at the end, which is a great setup for what happens later on in the film as well. Um, but it's all, it's all about kind of developing the characters of, of the apes more than it perhaps develops the human characters in the yes, film. Definitely. Well, I think, I think, I think. We're talking about pro- positives though. Yeah. <laughs> Are we sticking? Okay. Let's not. Have, have we got any, have we, have, we've done all the positives though, haven't we? And it, it, does, and it transitions. I mean, it, it, it does a lot of the stuff really well. It's difficult to go, you know, stuff looks good. Uh, this bit sounds mm. great. And things like that. It, it ticks a load of boxes. If you just went in with this checklist, it ticks a load of those boxes. But there are a few issues I've got. Uh, and it sounds like we're kind of moving in that direction. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I only had one particular mm, yeah. issue. Uh, I think I think the issue is probably going to be shared by a few of us that there wasn't really any kind of character to relate to in the film, whether no. whether, whether man or, or whether you could relate to the apes. There was no. You well, can relate to the apes, yeah, which was which is kind of similar to how the original films. films. Yeah, the humans did. But I mean, I yeah. think I don't I don't think in this film. You spent enough time with any character, man or monkey, to kind of relate to them. I mean, I suppose you're meant to know Caesar from the previous film mm-hmm. uh, and Cobra as well, and know what they've been through and that. But you don't spend enough time with any ca- any one character in this film to kind of relate to them and, and what they're going through and their situation, everything. Especially the human characters. Uh, obviously, the main two are um, Gary Oldman's character. I, don't, I can't even remember hearing his name. And the other one, which was the name, I think was yeah. Uh, yeah I think the other character, the, you know, was Malcolm. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, Jason but, Clark. Yeah. yeah, 
you know, th- those are the two central human characters, and you kind of get the sense of why they're doing what they're doing, of why they've got opposing views in that, but you never really get... But only... Uh, you, you never really spend enough time with them to really... You, you, yeah, and the thing is, you know why, because they are the exact same characters you've seen in this type of film over and over again. It's like the characters have just been taken down off the shelf. Gone, oh, this is, you know, apocalyptic film, like this is the man who's willing to go... Or, or who's, go, who's willing to go above and beyond to save humanity because he's going into the apes you know, and saying to them, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, trying to build a truce with them to save humanity, whereas the other one's basically trying to destroy the apes to save humanity. Yeah. 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 They both they both have the same motivation, don't they? I think is at the heart of it. They're both pretty. I mean, it, it, they're both friends. I know the the trailer again is one of these trailers that yeah. sets up a different kind of film yeah. to what you're given. And what you see in the trailer is that they're two very opposing people who have very different views on how to deal with ape coin. But in the yeah. film. That that they're, they're forced into behaving the yeah. way they do. Yeah. And it's not through choice, really. That's what I mean. When I said about the positive, you understand... Yeah, people take believable actions in the film. I get... You know, that, that's yeah. why, and that's why I still think the film works really well. Is because at least I can believe the actions. I just don't... I have no empathy, really. And I've got no real understanding of where those people have come from to be taking those actions. You know, that, that, that's the thing. And, and no one really develops hugely through the film. No, they don't. Um, they're pretty much, at the end of the film, they're pretty much still the same people they were at the beginning of the film. Um, well, Ga- Gary Oldman's character is slightly different, slightly, but yeah. I think he's um, an exception because, as well as Carol yeah, said, he doesn't really gain on screen time in this. No. You know, his he progression is well through, like, three scenes. Yeah. He's, he's got mm. Oh, yeah, very good. I mean, you do briefly see a bit... Character you know, it's about... It's not even a scene. It's like half a scene of what what's motivating him when he when he manages to turn his iPad on. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that for me that that's all Oldman. That's nothing to do with the. That's no. nothing to do with the script. That's it's it's what Oldman did in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He is brilliant at um, a very minimalist form of act. He can do things just with his face and his eyes, and he. He is a master of that, uh, and it, it, it. I suppose to give the filmmakers credit, at least they got someone like Gary Oldman for that role. You know, to give them some credit, they they cast that role very well. They just kind of possibly wasted it a little bit there. Yeah, I think so definitely. I was really when I came out of the film last night, I was kind of really struggling to to work out why I was feeling so ambivalent towards it. Um, and I and I did work out it was because we just didn't spend. We were asked to care too much about too many human characters in too short a space of time. Um, and I actually had a, a conversation with um, Sean on Twitter last night at STH93, who's written a really interesting article, which is basically how to kind of fix the film. Even though I, I don't think it was terrible, I just didn't think it lived up to my expectations. That's possibly my fault. Um, but one of the ideas was to, to cull the amount of human characters, because... They are all just given it. You're literally ticking them off. Um, you know, there's someone who's lost someone dear to them. You know, there's someone who's trying to uh, get the power back on for the good of the whole community. Tick. And uh, yeah, I, I think that pos- possibly. 
There's two, there's two guys that just disappear. The black guy and the guy who turns the music on. Yeah, they just they're all they're all there. They're all there in Monkey Town. Yeah, and then they all leg it. And they, you oh, never yeah. see them again. Yes. You don't. You never see them get killed. Vanish. You never. They just. They're, they're just not there anymore. Yeah. And then Kerry Russell's character as well, again, which is just, which brings me on to one of my other issues actually, which is the the female problem this film has. Uh, yeah, it's just such a non-event character. Their female lead. Just might as well not be there. Pretty much at one point, she does a bit of doctory work, but as a character, she's absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. And we could have I... easily just done without her, to be perfectly yeah. honest. But all, all of the characters really were kind of sexless. There was nothing. There was only really um, Carver, who was it kind of required him to be the bullish alpha male type character, and everybody else could have been male or female characters I don't think it was that important but, um, but and I might as well say we say it's not important but but at the same time it still ended up with 90% of the cast being males and the few females yeah. there had very little screen time and and it, it, it's and this this is a, this is one of my big problems and it's it by no means is it unique to this film um, and I'm just picking it up because you know, this is a standard bearer at the moment. This is, you know, we've said it's one of the best blockbusters we've seen yet. Um, you know, a, a major Hollywood blockbuster where women who make up over half the world's population, they're basically window dressing this film. Um, I, I, and I did think it was quite notable. And I did read an article that quoted Matt, Matt Reeves was challenged about this by uh, someone writing an article saying, why, have you, why, why aren't there any real strong identifiable female characters in this film? And that because there aren't um, hmm. and he kind of fudged it and said well it's a story about sons and fathers and things like that and part, and again someone said yeah but why does it have to be a story about sons and fathers and it actually it's only really about Caesar and his son because I, I didn't really get any kind of connection between um, but, Jason Clark's character and his uh, yeah there's kind of like a little forced oh yeah he's sinned things that no one should have sinned and now let's just move on yeah exactly that's certainly yeah. not a kind of father but the whole Caesar but isn't it supposed to kind of reflect Sorry, Sorry, carry on. I was I was just going to say, isn't it meant to kind of reflect like the opposite side of a father son relationship? So they're actually quite close because they're what they've been through has forced them together. Whereas Caesar and his son live in this utopia, but they're very different, and their ideals are kind of forcing them apart. Isn't it kind of purposely? Doing that? I'll, I'll be honest, Dan, I haven't read it like that. I, you certainly could do. Um, I, I don't see why you couldn't read it like that. But at the same time, I, I don't see why... Well, it's a, it's a father-son relationship as well because of the in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You yeah. know, it was James, Lith, uh, yes. James Franco and John Lithgow were the father-son. And it's just a theme that's running through this film and the next film. Yeah. Um... But I don't know. It, 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 it just it still strikes me as odd where we can't uh, yeah we just have no, again no strong female character. G- you know Judy Greer spent uh, did some fantastic work. Uh, she's got a dance background. She did some fantastic work um, as Cornelia, um, mm. which is Caesar's kind of wife uh, and mother of his children. Which and I read another article on this, which is really interesting. Yeah, no one actually calls her by name in the film. Mm. It's only if you read the end there's... credits you hear that she's called Cornelia, which in itself is a, a callback to the earlier films. But it's yeah. really interesting that 
no one ever calls her by name in the film and it's just it's one more little thing which is just it just says we've still got a big issue with with this with gender issues in in major hollywood blockbusters and and i'm not saying this film is the only culprit and it's far from the only culprit but it is a real shame when we've got a film that does so many good so many things well for me the the poor characterization and the fact that it's lazy with its female characters does let it down and the only other... I think it's just lazy with all its characters well, yeah, it to be perfectly honest <laughs> no, I don't no, think it's a well all but of them but the apes be yeah humanish. all the human characters yeah. well, at least if it had been lazy in terms of it did have a, a main female character she was just quite, quite 2D but at least she would have been doing something in this he's quite two dimensional um, Malcolm but at least he's there for mankind trying to save you know, trying to return power and stuff like that, and he's just got a woman basically following him behind him. And it. Just What's your other cool. problems then? It, 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 I don't know why it bugged me so much with this film, but it, it did a bit. Um, my other, my only other problem, <laughs> and this one's not the main. This one actually is more subjective, and some people will disagree with me anyway. But um, the the length, I, I thought it was a bit too long. It's it's not as bloated and corpulent as Michael Bay. I mean, sorry, uh, a Michael Bay film. Um, but there is <laughs> there is some fat that can be trimmed, and thinking back to the original Planet of the Apes, that told a, a perfectly encapsulated story in one hour fifty minutes, including half an hour before the apes even turned mm. up. This went on for two hour ten minutes. I, 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 I never, it, I never felt like the film was dragging at any point. Again, that's hardly uh, a unique criticism of this film. I looked at my watch twice. I'll be honest. Yeah, I did. No, I'm with Steve. I thought it was paced really that's well. What I mean, that's what I'm saying. That one's more of an objective criticism. I, you know, I, some people would obviously, clearly, you two didn't feel that at all. And, and that's Any, anything else to moan about, James? But the other two, I think, are no? quite objective criticisms in a sense. No, no. The strange thing is, usually when ever, it, you know, because we we know it's going to be a third instalment, but usually you know a little bit. You know, you've got there's been something released or been some kind of you know tease or something to the next film, it, or there'll be some news, some casting news or something. There's nothing for this, is there? It's just like there's going to be another one, and that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's got an IMDb listing. That's about it. But it's as yet untitled, yeah. isn't untitled it? Ape there was three years between this one and and Rise, though, wasn't there? Or am I? Hmm. No, was that's right. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah, three years. It, it was 2011, so it's it's early days at the moment. And apparently, it's it's scheduled for uh, two summers' time. So scheduled nah, for that's not 2016, happen. apparently. I think three years was quite a good amount of time for them to leave it between these two. There was just yeah. enough time for you know things to, um, to pass and I suppose it, uh, it not feel like you're being bombed. As well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think three years as a rule of thumb for sequels seems to be quite a good length of time. I think two years you can sometimes feel that things are a little bit rushed. Yes. Mm. Well, look at the Spider-Man films. Any of Let's them. Let's not. No. <laughs> 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 what the new ones? Yes, the new ones. Let's definitely yeah. not. <laughs> No, no. Yeah. No, no, no. The first, the first two are perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't know. Although there was only two years between those, to be fair. 
And Let's I think move on then to uh, the end one. of the podcast let, and recommendations that, that my for idea, so let's the, move on. the week ahead. I'm going for <laughs> Thursday night on Five Star, whatever the hell that is, and twenty one and twenty one Jump Street. Um, Carol, <laughs> yeah. Wow! Oh, cool. Yeah, five starter have got hold of that. Yeah, quite impressed. Um, I'm I'm going for an even more um, obscure channel, which is True Entertainment. It, this, this site assures me it's on Freeview. I have no idea, but on um, uh, Monday morning, one o'clock on Monday morning, uh, American Werewolf in London is showing. Nice. Which excellent is film. Excellent. I recently introduced some friends of mine who was, they stayed over to watch the World Cup with me, um, a week, couple of weeks ago. And they'd never seen it before. So I was like, right, got the DVD out, we watched it again. I still think it's brilliant. I just, it's excellent. Um, I it's actually, still really good. I actually only saw it for the first time relatively recently. I went to see Edgar Wright introduce it. Um, BFI have this. Sorry, <laughs> clang. Um, at BFI have this Screen Epiphany series where they get a famous person along to introduce a film that inspires them. And this was Edgar Wright's pick. And he told us the story about... Um, when it, he, he saw it when he was really young, as most people saw horror films in the 80s. And he was told to go to bed at a specific point, and it was the bit with the dinner party. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more than that. So he, he yeah. sat behind us and he said... Cause, because a few people hadn't seen it. So he said, I'm going to sit in the audience and, and yell, go to bed when they actually did it. And obviously this dinner party thing goes on and all of a sudden he yells in my ear, go to bed! <laughs> it was just the most terrifying thing ever. Because uh, you just, like, from that point on, that's, you'd have nightmares about that, wouldn't you? Completely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell you all uh, that the best... Unle- unless you're Owen, who hates fun. ...on DVD and Blu-ray on Monday, and that is the Lego movie. I'm buying it. First thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, best film of the year. Dawn of, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is the blockbuster of the year, though. Surely. I, I, I thought Captain America was still, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm still, still, I'm still counting still Captain America as, as comic book rather than blockbuster <laughs> action. <laughs> <laughs> That's your only reason. Because I, I do. How can you... How can you not count it as blockbuster? <laughs> it did over 700 that's comi- that's million. A, that's a Actually, no, I'm going to go though. with uh, Days of Future Past as my favourite of the year, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I saw, no, I've seen no. that twice in this and run. I'm going to go back. Oh, not a blockbuster, Nobody's though. picking Godzilla or, Made nearly or three quarters Transformers. Of a billion pounds. That's <laughs> <laughs> a bit harsh chucking uh, Godzilla in with that. <laughs> no, I like Godzilla. Um, so, uh, say no more about Transformers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm picking a film I only watched quite recently by Takeshi Meek Takeshi Mike Takeshi Mika Takeshi Mika whoever you say his name uh, who did 13 Assassins and Ichi the Killer Japanese guy very twisted films a film of his that I watched recently called Audition is on oh, film God, 4 yeah, I on to turn thir- it off. Thursday evening, sort of Friday morning, one fifteen a.m. Um, one yeah, with your absolutely. <laughs> Invite your nan around. It's uh, <laughs> I, the, the same defects in the last cool. twenty minutes of that film were yeah. what really made me feel sick. 
Yeah, I'm not but, a squeamish person, but I had to abandon that film. Great choice. Exactly. Uh, so I'm seen pushing that one out there five, as a recommendation this week. That's all for this week. Before we finish up, James, can you just tell us when we're going to tell the listeners when we're going to be back and what we're going to be back with? Okay, so what the plan is now uh, that after this podcast, the next podcast you will hear will be one from the vaults that I've just not got around to editing properly yet. Yeah, um, which I think had the and you left halfway through over one hundred and sixty-five minutes or something <laughs> bizarre like that. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, yeah, I had a sick child uh, who kind of came and got me, so I had to leave. Um, so that will be out, and then that will be out kind of this week coming. And then on about the 29th of July, 29th, 30th of July, basically just before Guardians of the Galaxy is out, uh, we'll be back with uh, reviews of Hercules, possibly, if anyone goes to see Hercules. Um, it's got The Rock in it, so I can't have to. But it's also directed by Brett Ratner. <laughs> I know. It's, oh, so, oh, oh, that Conflicted up. opinions, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I can see it for free somehow, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and Boyhood as well uh, so I would have seen that by then Carol you've seen Boyhood already haven't you yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll be chatting about Boyhood as well and then whatever else we've got there so that, that's kind of roughly what's coming and then the week after that obviously we'll all be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy which Carol's seeing this week well yeah if I can remember anything about it by that point <laughs> <laughs> have we got any new stuff coming up on the website that you know of um, uh, well we... let, let, let's just let the listeners know Decade of Film is back because um, I spent uh, nearly a year trying to write 1963 and I just knocked it off in an afternoon. So I was taking over <laughs> the 60s for me. I've stolen the 2000s from Jerry, I think. Uh, I'm just going to force him out. I'll have a chat with him. Um, <laughs> shifting it all around. Um, so Decade Film is back. We've got some um, reviews of new releases up there. Owen's excellent review of Dawn of the Planet Apes is up there. Um, we've also got... Do you know what? I'm going to... We're bringing back best film on TV. We're trying to we're trying to smarten up our act, basically. Uh, we're, we, we're we're still trying. <laughs> bear with us. Yeah, bear with us. It's yeah, summer and we're hot. <laughs> People are watching <laughs> films again now. The, the World Cup's over yeah, now. We can get anyway, back to that's all for this week's podcast. So thanks to anyone who's listened and anyone yes. who's contributed to the podcast yeah. on the website in any way. Uh, we'll be back uh, somewhere, whether it's from the vault or with a new podcast in the next week or so. Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! (gasps) He can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! talk. I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. On a second opinion. You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, Dr. Zayas.